Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with Andrew Hustler-Patterson and Michael Remus. Hey, what's up, everyone? Happy game day to you. Welcome to a Thursday edition of Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily with a late one tonight. Down in the desert, the Jets beginning a three-game road trip in Vegas, taking on the 9-0-1 Golden Knights. Big test for the Winnipeg Jets. We'll be all over it for tonight. We'll actually hear from Scott O'Neill and Cole Perfetti coming up in just a couple of moments. We'll uh, chop it up with Brandon Rewicki, Marata Tesh of The Athletic, and We'll actually get the latest on the uh, Knights as well with the Athletics' Jesse Granger later on towards the end of the program. And not forgetting about football as well. Dave Naylor is going to jump on with us from Orchard Park, New York. We'll pick his brain on the latest in and around the Canadian Football League. The season just passed. MOP awards, playoff games this weekend. And also get the latest on the Bills as they get ready for a big Sunday nighter against the Cincinnati Bengals. Going to be a great show today. I'm looking forward to this game tonight. And um, should give a special shout-out to everyone participating and supporting the Hockey Helps the Homeless event, which goes down tomorrow at the Seven Oaks Arena. I'll be out at the uh, Canad uh, McPhillips tonight hosting the uh, big NHL player draft for uh, everyone that's going to be participating. That event has been really fun to be involved in and obviously goes to uh, very important causes in our community. So a quick shout out to everyone that supported the Hockey Helps the Homeless event and we'll look forward to seeing you there tonight. Uh, Tons of action in the NHL in addition to this Jets-Knights game tonight. 11 other games on the docket, so... We'll have lots to chop up in the cool bet lines. We've got an interesting Thursday nighter. Not really not really the most primetime teams for prime, for a primetime game with the Titans and the Steelers going at it tonight. Will Levis and Kenny Pickett will be the scheduled starters at quarterback. Touch on that as well. Uh, but, of course, the focus is going to be on the home team. And th- that home team are the visitors tonight in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Just before we bring in Michael Remus... Do you want to thank the sponsors that make this show happen each and every day? Our friends, of course, at CoolBet just finished up the lock shop. Big partner parlay win last night. 11 straight now for yours truly on the play of the day. A lot of pressure going into tonight's pick as well. We'll hit that later on. Of course, our friends at Princess Auto, Royal Sports, Boston Pizza, the Winnipeg Jets, Little Brown Jug, Canadian Club Whiskey. Canada's favorite, Manitoba Battery, Aquatech, Modern Man Barbershop, Aquatech, Wallace & Wallace, F Apparel, and of course our friends at Nick and Nicky DQ and Pita Pit. And we will get to a why not question of the day for the gang down at Not Autocorp over at Waverly and McGilvery. Let's get Remo in here and get this show on the road while we welcome everybody in chat. What's up, gang? Hit that thumbs up button if you haven't already. Remo, what's going on? Feeling good. Uh, a lot of hockey tonight. The schedule got all weird since that last Tuesday. There were some games yesterday, World Series yesterday. I did watch the end, and I'm feeling good here. Jets in Vegas. I love the 9 p.m. starts. I'm pumped for it. Oh, speaking of time, shout out to Miller time. This is the weekend that we fall back. Yes. So, so we get the extra hour of sleep. We need it. Well, we need this, like... It's like five o'clock and it's dark out. This is, is dumb. So uh, I'm I'm a big time change guy. I love it. I know people like to bitch about it, like affecting. Well, it'll it. be even earlier after it falls back. What's five o'clock will be oh. four o'clock next week. Oh, really? Is that how it works? It gets dark earlier now. Yes. 
Nah, fine. We'll, we'll deal with that. <laughs> I'm just pumped about the extra hour of sleep because mm-hmm. 8.30 a.m. Chiefs came <laughs> from Frankfurt, Germany against the Dolphins. So it has all come together to, uh, um, well, it should be a great weekend, as I said. we got an afternoon game with the Jets and Coyotes on Saturday. We've got the two CFL playoff games and the NFL slate on Sunday is packed from 8.30 in the morning to that primetime game with the Bills and Bengals going at it again uh, coming up. And again, we'll talk about that with uh, with Dave Naylor a little bit later on. Listen, just before we get to um, some audio out of Vegas from Coach Scott Arneal as well as Cole Perfetti, um, we will hear from Perfetti. Uh, he was, of course, trying a neck guard yesterday with a few of his teammates in practice. Uh, we'll hear what he had to say about that, but... Kudos to the Western Hockey League, Remus. You know, in the uh, aftermath of the horrible tragedy, um, taking the life of Andy Johnson on the ice in a British Elite League game last week, the Western Hockey League announced yesterday that effective tomorrow, neck guards will be mandatory in the Western Hockey League. And, you know, it's always unfortunate that it usually takes a horrible tragedy like just occurred to move forward when it comes to player safety. Um, But I have to say... I haven't heard many naysayers on this decision. I think it's great, especially when you're talking about kids, many under 18 that are playing in the Western League. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we have seen, this isn't the first cut incident we've seen, um, but obviously the most uh, tragic one. And and you're seeing a lot of action taken from, you know, youth leagues. And as you mentioned, WHL and a number of NHL players trying out net guards. A couple Jets did yesterday, like you mentioned, Perfetti. Uh, Namastikov mounting them. I saw Tom Wilson rocking a War Road, uh, you know, shirt with a built-in neck protection, which is TJ Oshie's company. And I was reading an article yesterday saying that these neck guards, you know, for the teams implementing them or wanting to try them out, they're not really that available. And supply is an issue, and they're selling out like crazy. So I mean, I see a lot of people saying, "Hey, you know, we need to." There's a moment where people are saying, "Hey, we need to smarten up." Little cuts do happen, and whether it's you know, neck protection, or you're hearing what Kevlar wrist protection as well. Evander Kane with a very serious cut last year. Um, players are are stepping up. So uh, we'll hear from Cole Perfetti, a uh, clip from yesterday. Uh, shout out to the Mitch and the Jets website for putting that up. Yeah. Um, so we'll get to that in a minute. Um, the other thing is, I mean, I don't know if you caught, you know, some of the other shows or a Sports Center last night. A lot of fallout from yesterday's press conference in Ottawa. Um, Pierre Dorian resigned. He is no longer the general manager. Steve Steyo is taking over. But what everyone's talking about is the comments of Michael Andlauer, the new owner of the Ottawa Senators. And, Remo, I have to admit, I uh, kind of side with the uh, owner of the Sens here. And I'm not sure whether this gets appealed or gets reconsidered. Very tough position for a guy taking over a team. And he was very pointed with the National Hockey League yesterday, wondering why the hell this took as long as it did to come out and suggest that maybe they didn't want to put this out because it may have affected the value of the team in the sale. Regardless, I think he's got a legitimate bone to pick despite the fact that what the Ottawa Senators did was illegal and they knew there was going to be some punishment and uh, even got into the Shane Pinto dealings that they really didn't have a lot of information and made sort of a, a side swipe at Wayne Gretzky in the process for Gretzky being on in the intermissions of all these uh, games uh, pimping MGM when they're losing Shane Pinto due to gambling indiscretions for half a season. Yeah. Was, um, I don't blame him for being pissed off. It, sound, you know, it sounds like he was told 
about this situation with the Dadunov pick that it was kind of a minor issue and wasn't a big deal. And for him to be in the dark about two investigations involving the team you're about to spend what a billion dollars on, a bit shady there uh, by the NHL. And um, and who I like this quote from AJ. Jackbeck, in terms of the fans, we're all left like speculating as to what happened. And AJ Jackbeck of TSN 1200 in Ottawa called it FIFA level transparency oh, whoa. From, from the NHL. And I think Ottawa fans are happy that uh, the owner was <laughs> stepping up, stepping up for them. And you do wonder. I, I was listening to who was it? Pierre LeBrun. I listened to him talking, and he was saying, "Remember how New Jersey was docked that first round pick uh, for the Kovalchuk." Uh, contract and then what they sold the team to a new owners and they just changed it to a lower pick. I wonder if in a couple years down the line they say, hey, you know what, it's not a first anymore. It's going to be like a second or a third. I think Anaheim, Anaheim was hoping to get a second in that you know proposed Dadunov trade, and so maybe they, they end up changing it to. A, I mean that's pure speculation, but I think rightfully just annoyed that they had these investigations about the team. And he hadn't, didn't know anything about them and then gets handed a 70-page document about this <laughs> Dadunov uh, ruling. So uh, pretty wild. Oh, and Dadunov scored yesterday uh, against the Flames. Oh. So, the, big, the big joke on Twitter is, oh, Dadunov is just taking it out on Canada now. Oh, yeah. Crazy night in the National Hockey League last night. Um, the picks keep on coming in 11 in a row now on that play of the day. Did you see any of that Buffalo-Philly game? I mean, I was tracking it. I watched more of the uh, Colorado, St. Louis, and Anaheim, Arizona, which was a great game. But I was did fall. I had, I took your advice and rode with Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo and wow, Ukupeka Lukanen, what a game for him! Well, you, you know things are going well for you when you're backing a team on the road as a slight underdog. It's two-two after the second period. They get outshot twenty to four in the third but outscore their opposition 3 nothing. That's exactly what happened in Buffalo. And uh, as far as the lock shop goes, I mean, we uh, hit our plus 575 partner parlay thanks to uh, Jake Ottinger and the Dallas Stars holding on against the Calgary Flames in the third. Calgary out shooting Dallas 20-5 to in that period. So, uh, hey, no complaints here. Um, the, some good fortune yesterday in the lock shop. And, we got plenty of games tonight. Hopefully some good fortune coming for the Winnipeg Jets tonight against the Vegas Golden Knights. Just before we get to the Jets and a little audio out of Vegas, Remo, 11 Winnipeg Blue Bombers named Division All-Stars today by the Canadian Football League. And many of these individuals will not surprise you. Let's run it down. Zach Caleros earns Divisional All-Stars for the third straight year, 4,252 passing yards and throwing for a league-high 33 touchdowns in 16 starts. Brady Oliveira, no surprise there. Mr. 2K, 2,016 yards from scrimmage to be exact, and 1,534 yards on the ground, 13 touchdowns. One of the greatest uh, seasons for a Canadian in CFL history, uh, certainly when it comes to combined yardage and rushing, just only behind John Cornish and uh, that memorable season he had. Nick Dembski cracked the 1,000-yard receiving mark for the first time. He's an all-star. No surprise, Dalton Schoen's on that all-star team as well for back-to-back -back seasons. Uh, last year's CFL Outstanding rookie has had just an absolutely incredible first two years of uh, his campaign, uh, his, his career, I should say. The big question is to whether he will be available 
uh, come November 11th. Stanley Bryant, the four-time CFL Most Outstanding Lineman, back on the uh, back on the All-Star team, and his teammate Jamarcus Hardrick, who is the finalist for this year's Most Outstanding Lineman as well. Patty Newfeld certainly deserves to be there. He gets his third divisional All-Star team berth. No surprise on the defensive side of the football. Willie Jefferson uh, there. Um, Demario Houston, who led the CFL in interceptions with seven, is on the squad. Brandon Alexander. And a first-time All-Star. I'm so glad that this guy made the team because I thought he had just has had a monster regular season. Is a huge part of the defense is Evan Holm, Remo. Uh, a very, very much deserved award for Evan. Uh, but 11 Bombers on that All-Star team, and uh, every one of them very much deserved. Could probably make a case for a few more of their teammates to be on it. Uh, but nice recognition for the blue and gold today. Yeah, I love seeing uh, all the blue and gold on all these All-Stars, a lot of Toronto players too. And I agree with you on Evan Holm. You know, I remember when, remember when the Bombers had Taylor Loeffler, and he would lay out some what, devastating hits, and then he left, and... I don't know, it seemed like t- didn't have that kind of signature player uh, back there, but uh, nice to see Evan Holm come in at uh, halfback there and get the all-star nod. And who, yeah, Dalton Schoen with the follow-up, Brady Oliveira, Zach Kolaris. I mean, I don't know. If you look at the all-star nod, it seems like we're shaping up for a Winnipeg-Toronto showdown, a rematch in the Grey Cup. Hope, fingers crossed that we get it. We'll touch on that with Dave Naylor a little bit later on when uh, when he joins us. But, of course, tonight our focus is going to be on Vegas, 9 p.m. Winnipeg time. They'll drop the puck. And, um, you know, the Jets had, you know, a pretty nice performance against Vegas earlier this year on home ice, uh, a game that, you know, was started by Loren Brassois, his first start of the year. He was okay. Logan Thompson was the star of that night. I'm not sure Cole Perfetti's still gotten over him being robbed the way he was that, that night. Um, but we expect Connor Hellebuck to be in the night, uh, net tonight for the Winnipeg Jets, taking on Logan Thompson this evening. But um, the big story out of the skate yesterday, and I mentioned this with the new rules in the WHL with net cards, was uh, four players from the Winnipeg Jets sporting them yesterday. And this was a significant topic of conversation around the league. Green was talked about the supply issues of getting them. Uh, but here's what Scott O'Neill had to say on uh, some of his players going through practice yesterday, uh, working with the net guards. Yeah, obviously uh, there are some new things that are out on the market too. And our trainers are trying to find some different looks for these guys. Um, some guys wanted to get into them today and just see what they feel like. And, uh, and I'm sure maybe a few more guys looking to do it too so it be uh, obviously is nothing in mandatory right now from the league and but there are some guys that are you know certainly concerned about it and just got a feel for it nice to see a few guys getting ahead of it we'll hear from Cole Perfetti on it he was one of the players wearing one yesterday but um, of course the focus is on this game tonight um, the Jets 3-0-2 in their last five after that 1-3 and start points in five straight although um now you could definitely argue uh, one left on the table in Montreal and one left on the table in New York. A big topic on this program and will continue to be is the lack of success on the power play and really special teams overall, considering how solid the Jets have been at five on five. Here's what Scott Arneal had to say on uh, how this team is playing coming into this three-game road trip beginning tonight in Sin City. You know, we we like the way we've played, and uh, we we feel feel that we should have had a better outcome in both those games in Montreal and against the Rangers. And 
um, you know, we're, our team game is, uh, has been good. Uh, our specialty teams have to get better. Um, you know, our penalty kill, you know, the other night, um, you know, we gave up a goal to get them back in it. You know, last game, obviously, uh, you know, a big one to, for them to, you know, make they take that lead. So, uh, excuse me, to tie it up. So it's for us, it's, you know, certainly lots of emphasis today. And we did, we worked on it a little bit more today. Uh, for the power play, uh, for me, you know, we're just talking about like just it's it's getting more opportunities, pucks to the blue paint. Um, you know, however you find those opportunities, that creates the scrambles and kind of creates the next chance. And um, guys are good at it today. They, you know, they recognize it, and everybody's real proud, and they want to make sure that they're doing everything they can to you know help both units. And um, you know, we're at game nine here. We just got to continue to you know learn from what we've done and and get better each day with it. All right, there's uh, Scott Arneal and Remus. No surprise that uh, the power play, a big topic of conversation around the club and certainly a focus in practice right now. Um, we've seen this team at, uh, operate at a much higher level. They did make that switch with Cole Perfetti going in. Didn't make a big difference. Um, but he talked about traffic in front of the net, and this was a, something that we kind of nailed yesterday on the show. When you compare what the Jets were doing in the power play to what the New York Rangers were doing on the power play, the biggest difference was the presence of Chris Kreider in front of the net, as well as how quickly the Rangers were moving and passing the puck around. And um, that's got to be a focus for the Winnipeg Jets on both sides. Quicker puck movement and make life difficult for Logan Thompson when you've got the extra man out there. You haven't scored a power play goal in four games while you're giving up uh, one shorthanded, you know, every, just about every game except for one. So... Uh, the Jets got to improve their power play, as we've said for a while. And yeah, quick puck movement, quick decision making, uh, getting shots on goal, and have someone there to bang in the rebound, or or therefore a tip. Seems like they're so spread out, and when they are deciding to pull the trigger, um, it's getting blocked. I don't know because they're not, you know, they're standing standing still and just kind of passing it slowly back and forth. It's not really fooling anyone who was watching the, uh, you know, the Avs power play yesterday, or even the Coyotes. Just how quickly. Uh, they moved the puck around and players moved around. It was awesome to watch. So I'm sure the Jets, I'm sure like they, I'm sure that we're talking about. It. I'm sure they know what they yeah. need to do and uh, and hopefully uh, they break the dam here on this power play, uh, you know, cold streak. Well, they've got a uh, quite the test tonight. Um, unbeaten in regulation, nine zero and one on the season are the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, and they're the Stanley Cup champs. This is the standard right now in the National Hockey League. Here's Scott O'Neill's thoughts on the uh, home team tonight and how Vegas is looking heading into the 9 p.m. puck drop. Yeah, I mean, they're Stanley Cup champs, and they're not missing a beat. They're, you know, they're all, what are they, 9-0-1? And, uh, you know, they're playing hard, and they're playing, you know, like an experienced team that they are. And, um, you know, we were in a 3-3 game against them and, you know, gave up a, you know, power play goal four minutes to go. And we have to have that same effort we have to make sure that we know when their top lines are on the ice and uh you know know that we uh, got to manage the puck real well against those guys and you know if we're going to get our chances uh, in the offensive zone we're going to have to get to the blue paint we're going to have to get around there they do a pretty good job of boxing you they get some big defensemen that don't really like to let you get near the net so we're going to have to get inside and and uh, you know really try to force them to uh you know to you know keep us away from those second and third chances all right, so there's the coach, Scott Arneal, interim coach, uh, taking care of things while Rick Bonus is away from the club, helping um, the recovery of his uh, wife, Judy. Again, positive thoughts to the Bonus clan right now. Uh, but let's hear from Cole Perfetti, and we'll hear from his thoughts on the 
power play in a minute, but as we kind of led off with, um, Netguard's a big conversation in hockey right now. Uh, Cole Perfetti, along with a few of his teammates, were trying them out yesterday. Here's what Cole had to say about wearing the Netguard. Well, yeah, I think everyone kind of knows why. Um, tragic uh, accident there, and um, obviously a couple guys in the team that are pretty close, so it kind of hits home a little bit, a little bit better. And um, yeah, it's a sad, it's 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 awful. So um, I think a couple guys tried it out today, wanted to see what it was, a, what it's what it felt like. I think it's you know haven't used one in a, in a bit, so um, but yeah, it's obviously. That, that sparked the uh, interest in trying one and um, you know just super sad and, and uh, terrible thing that happened so I'll try to prevent it. In terms of your experience with it in, in practice today I think Vladislav Nemestikov just said you know it was a little bit warm yeah. said, this building's a little bit warm that, that yeah. adds to it but just how did how did it feel after not wearing it for a little while? It definitely felt warm it felt weird having something coming up here like you know you always usually just have it's like so so loose there and so free and um, Definitely hotter, definitely an awkward feeling. I think something that you just have to get used to. Don't know if it looks the best, but, um, you know, it's at the end of the day, just try to be safe. So that's the end goal. All right, so there's a little Cole Perfetti on uh, the uh, the neck guard uh, decision. It'll be interesting to see at what point we see some NHLers um, add it to the uh, wardrobe for actual game action. But, um, you know, certainly a positive. And at some point, wouldn't be surprised if that's something the NHL mandates um, you know, in the aftermath of that horrible tragedy that, as Cole mentioned, um, you know, hit very close to home for a few players on the Winnipeg Jets that were former teammates of Andy Johnson. Um, this is a big test, as we've talked about. I mean, everyone knows the Vegas Golden Knights are the champs. Here's what Perfetti had to say about their performance last time against Vegas. I thought we, yeah, I thought we played good that game. Obviously, uh, special teams they, they they scored late there, and you know we've been really uh, emphasizing how, how important special teams are. And I think that's going to play a big role tomorrow night. You know, our power, we got to score on the power play, and our PK is going to continue to do its job. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be the special teams going to be part of it. But I think you know we have a lot to, to you know be happy about and, and and feel good about going into this game from how we how we played the last couple of games but also how we played against Vegas that first time so I think there's lots to be uh, excited about and and, and uh, you know learn from our mistakes from that first game and, and uh, move forward and I think we're going to be uh, I think we're ready for tomorrow night. All right uh, well the squad's going to have to be ready because uh, we know what the test the Vegas Golden Knights are. Perfetti talked about the power play uh, Scott O'Neill mentioned that it was a uh, power play goal for Vegas that Flipped that tie game late in the third period in their first matchup of the season. Uh, Perfetti talked as well about what they're focusing on, trying to get this power play out of neutral. Yeah, I think obviously having a shot emphasis is going to be is uh, important. I think like trying to get the puck to the net, maybe like, tight score. I think obviously the, the power play is a little bit snake bitten right now, so I think getting a greasy one might be the way to get the the dam to break and and uh, you know get the get the ball moving. But I think uh, yeah, obviously puck movement is something I, I I haven't played with that unit really. So just trying to figure out their timing, trying to figure out the movement, and where to be when they have the puck and. Um, just trying to read off them, so I thought we were really good today in practice, and and it was a uh, you know really good positive going into tonight's game. All right, so there's Cole Perfetti, and and I do have a lot of time for Perfetti on PP one Remus. Um, we'll talk about this with Brandon in a minute, but um, you know so many of the things that make him the dynamic player that he is, I think, are perfectly suited for the power play, and I hope they give this some time with him in that spot, particularly now with a little bit of practice time, 
to see if they can get the PP uh, issues turned around. Yeah, and he was, I, you know, when he switched with Ehlers, I thought he was going to be on the left point like Ehlers was, but no, I, they like Mark Shafley there because he's got the shot, and they were using Cole Perfetti um, down low, but I didn't see any of those, you know, beautiful passes that we've seen off the rush to, you know, David Gustafson or, or Nemestikov. So, as you said, they're trying to figure out where, the, where to be, where to stand, and, you know, they're a bunch of talented players, you would think, us when you have five guys and the other team has four guys, you'd be able to... <laughs> The score, but that hasn't been been the case uh, the last couple of games. But again, they've got some good shooters, good players, good passing. Um, you know, they got video review, tons of time to practice this. Uh, you, hopefully, they they can figure this out. You can't be giving away those opportunities. Like how many times last year when like okay, the Jets power play, this is the time where they can get a big goal and you know make a comeback or tie a game or get a lead and we let the let them down. Did that happen in that game? What when they lost like one zero to Arizona? And Vimelka was that was that last year or two years ago? The, you know I think what I'm it was talking. Two years ago. You know the game I'm talking oh, about. Yeah. That was that was rough, and the power play just killed them over and over. Uh, I guess it feels like last year, but that, I think it was two years ago. Well, listen, the five on five play has been been strong. They need to continue that, change things up on special teams, and uh, see if they can grab two points tonight in Vegas. Listen, Brandon Rewicki's jumping on right away. Um, a big thanks and shout out to. Our WST team for Movember. We've teamed up with our friends at Modern Man Barbershop to really get behind the cause this month. And we've got a great crew of WSTers growing the stashes and helping us raise money. If you're with us on YouTube right now, you can see that QR code. If you want to just click on that, you can make a donation. We've had a great start towards our goal right now. And, and Reem, in addition to people being able to support the stashes, there actually is a Movember movement part that uh, you're going to jump on, and uh, I maybe should do this as well for a number of reasons. I am in, um, Huss. I didn't know that this was a thing, but uh, I saw people posting. I'm like, you know what? I should uh, get in because, look, I'm not a big mustache guy, but they're also doing Move uh, mo- move uh, for Mental Health. And Move is ha- was how the Order of Mo remembers the 60 men lost to suicide globally every hour. To take part, all you have to do is run or walk 60 kilometers, cover the distance in one go or over the month. So I did a couple KMs yesterday while watching uh, the World Series. Look, we've got a treadmill here. It's been used more like a clothes rack. And uh, <laughs> I had to d- dust it off. So I joined the team, too. I saw... Uh, Leighton Janice, who's on our team, he also did, he did like six kilometers. One bird is in for, he's growing a mustache and also a rack at the camp. So here's our, here's our team. We got some donations going. And so here's, I'll throw up the QR code. Uh, again, you can donate to our team. There it is. I mean, uh, very, very important, um, you know, initiative for, uh, supporting, uh, men's health initiatives through November, fun to grow the stashes, get movement. Um, but obviously it's all about fun. So if you are able to help support all the WSTers taking part in Movember, that is where to do it. We really appreciate it. We'll have some more promo with Modern Man of Movember throughout the month um, and actually looking to uh, do something for Movember with our friends at Vita Health as well. Of course, Modern Man now has eight locations in Winnipeg, including the new locations on Pemina Highway or Plessy Road. Modern Man Barbershops offer a variety of grooming services, including haircuts, beard shaping, great shaves. Guys are going to need those at the end of the month. Color services and more. Make an appointment or book your look. 
via modernmanbarber.com. And uh, hey, listen, what a summer it was. Um, beautiful weather, lots of pool time. And those pools are probably from the experts at Aquatech. I mean, you can think about pools for 2024, but right now, um, the real focus for Aquatech is whole home renovations, which start with Aquatech. With thousands of rentals as their foundation, Aquatech can upgrade any space in your home. If you're ready to enhance your kitchen, your bathroom, or even add a man cave to your home, and how about that home sauna we're looking at on the screen? Um, find out more and visit aqua-tech.ca to learn more about their whole home renovation program, including financing options. Again, that's aqua-tech.ca. Um, and you know what's up. The winter is up. It's here. I don't think the snow's going anywhere, although we're going to be pushing around zero for the next week or so. But the cold weather is right around the corner and uh, being prepared for winter is half the battle. Make sure that your car or truck battery is ready to handle what is to come. And Manitoba Battery is getting ready to get you winter ready with their winter ready sale right now featuring $10 off all automotive batteries. And that's off their prices, which are already the best in town, beating the pants off the big box stores. Manitoba Batteries got you hooked up with the best price in town. And the best part of it is you won't even need to leave your home. Why? Because Donnie and his staff at Manitoba Battery will deliver it to you for free anywhere in the city of Winnipeg for any purchase over 60 bucks. It's just that easy. Get on over to ManitobaBattery.com. Find out more on the Winter Ready Sale, everything that's available for you. Order online or give them a call at 204-783-8787 to arrange over the phone. And if you are in the neighborhood or would like to go in for a free battery test and see where you're at, pop by and see them at 10 26 Logan Avenue. And just before we bring in Brandon Rowicki, do not forget, whiskey lovers, that November 4th, this Saturday, is the Manitoba Liquor Mart's Premium Spirit Sale. And of course, Canada's favorite Canadian whiskey, Canadian Club's a big part of it. It's the limited one-time release of the Invitation Series. That's right, the CC Invitation Series featuring the 15-year-old Sherry Cask launches on Saturday. Limited availabilities, so if you're looking for a great gift for that whiskey lover in your family for the holidays, get there on Saturday and pick it up. $79.99 for a limited one-time release. Again, the 15-year-old Sherry Cask Canadian Club Invitation Series on sale on Saturday, and then the following Saturday, we'll be enjoying CC all around IG Field. Of course, the official spirit of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. There'll be quite a bit of that, I think, keeping Bomber fans warm and loud. And don't forget that uh, CC and ginger ale that we've been enjoying all summer long at those Bomber games, also available at Manitoba Liquor Marts or your favorite beer store. Big thanks to Canadian Club for their support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. And remember, Always enjoy responsibly. All right, let's get Ruwiki in here. Marat coming up a little later on. We will head to Vegas with Jesse Granger. Brandon, what's going on? How are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Um, changing locations here at the parents' house. Right now, Grandpa Andy is doing double uh, double grandkid duty. and Beautiful. I'm, hope, I'm, I'm hoping the dog here, my, my parents' dog, it's relatively new. He's, he's uh, in the room with me here. I'm hoping he, he keeps it quiet. But he was uh, he was pretty jacked up during your your sponsor reads there. So 
let's let's hope we can get through this one fingers crossed but hey the people in the chat always love an appearance from a dog so um but so far so good um listen so far so good i think for the jet start to the season going into game 10 tonight um i you could certainly say they probably left a few points on the table considering the way that they've played um but listen they've been stacking points in their last five games albeit just one in their last two how are you feeling about the way the team has played overall and the challenge that awaits them tonight in Vegas for the 9-0-1 Golden Knights? Yeah, I mean, macro-wise, it's been about best-case scenario I think any of us could have hoped for, especially, you know, considering that Velarde's been been out for 80% of the action so far. I mean, they're they're a top 10, depending on, on where you look, a top 10 analytically uh, inclined team. They're in the upper end charts of the expected goals and everything you would look for five on five. So, I mean, I, I heard you guys talk a little bit before I came on there. Five on five, they're, they're doing okay. The special teams needs a little bit of work. Um, you know, Bressois hasn't been, especially in Montreal, he wasn't great. Hellebuck wasn't great numbers-wise to start the year, but I think we're starting to see him back to the, the player that we all anticipate him to be. So... I, I I mean it's it's got to be pretty positive even even though the results haven't been as as stellar as as we would have liked in the past little bit but I mean look grab some points if you're gonna lose grab some points while doing it and the team kind of had a history of finding ways to lose in regulation but finding ways to lose in OT by the end of the year can uh, can grab you a, a playoff spot maybe bump you up to a home playoff date as well so I don't know I've been pleasantly surprised at at how well they've played. When it comes to even strength, at the very least, they've they've kind of hung around with some some pretty top dogs in the NHL, and I think that's an extremely encouraging sign. Yeah, I mean, listen, before we dive into the issues on special teams, I mean, there has been a lot of positives at five on five, and Brandon, it just seems game after game after game, we're seeing more and more confidence in the. Uh, and when we say the bottom of the lineup, I and mean, it's hard to really include Adam Lowry's line there because at times, I mean, especially on the road, they are getting some of the toughest matchups and are playing a lot like, listen, Lowry had maybe a little bit of an off game against New York had a few gaffes that we haven't seen, but I mean, his line was the show Saturday night in Montreal, but I got to tell you this fourth line continues to impress. David Gustafson's had a little bit of puck luck. He's changing at the right time to spend just enough time to get a sweet dish from Cole Perfetti to put one in, uh, but Campari Baron, um, and these guys have been important parts of the, uh, penalty kill unit, which I think naturally is going to improve as Connor Hellebuck really gets into his groove right now, which it seems that he's in. Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about the PK at all, to be honest, because I feel like, you know, going back to last year, Bones, and it'll be intriguing too, like if and when Bones comes back, you know, a similar thing happened last year where he missed a bunch of time due to COVID and the team's play like really dropped off. When he came back, you know, we saw things go to where hopefully they can they can stay long-term. So I'm intrigued to see how that, if it kind of mirrors itself again going into this season. But yeah, I mean, I, I think the PK is going to be good. They, they seem to be aggressive. And I mean, goaltending is obviously going to be the biggest factor in all of that. Um, but it's funny you mentioned the bottom of the lineup there. And where, where I thought you were going to go was the Ehlers, Nemestikov, Perfetti line because that's this team's third line right now with, with Lowry and, and Nino and company playing second-line minutes. But this this fourth line is giving us what I think fans have hoped for for a really, really long time. And it's the best of both worlds, really. 
They're defensively really solid. They're able to chip in offensively on top of it. And it's young, right? Like it's 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 a young fourth line that's giving you exactly what you would hope for out of a group like that. So I, yeah, the fourth line's been outstanding so far this season. And, and to me, like great that Gus has gotten these goals the past few games, but it's spearheaded 100% by Rasmus Kupari, who's just... I mean, what a throw-in on that trade. The same, same way Morgan Barrow was kind of the throw-in in the Andrew Kopp trade. Interesting that, you know, Kupari kind of fills that role in the uh, in, in the Dubois trade with L.A. Um, he's He's been really, really solid. And if if there are another injury or two up front, I've got, I've got all the time in the world to see Kupari in a top-nine role to see what he can deliver. Um, let's talk about that Perfetti-Ehlers-Nemetsnikov line. Um, and again, it's still, I think, a work in progress. I've loved Perfetti's game the last couple games, and I know there was a lot of talk about his ice time in the previous week. Um, and I said on the program, listen, the team's winning games right now, still a young player. Like, let's not get too caught up in two or three minutes here, especially if the team is winning. But I'll say this. I mean, if you want to make a difference and you want to change that, the best thing a young player can do is go out and play the way he has in the last couple of games. I've been really impressed. I think he continues to work hard on the things that he needs to improve. But game after game, Brandon, we're seeing the world-class vision, passing ability of Cole Perfetti. And, um, you know, it's been the guys on his line, but also David Gustafson, as we mentioned, that, um, you know, have made, a most, made the most of that. I mean, thoughts on Perfetti's first nine games and where he's at going into tonight? I, I think he's been really hard done by ice time wise. You know, I'll, I'll, hey, throw me to the chorus of people <laughs> who are complaining about it because I, I don't know. It, it feels, it feels odd to me how the team has gone about this, us because generally, especially with young guys, it's, it's interesting how this team in the past, especially up front, they haven't shied away from giving their young players a ton of ice time. Like, I mean, Line A as a, 18, 19, 20-year-old, Ehlers, same sort of a thing. Cal Connor, when he gets called up from the A, gets thrown right up there on the top line. In the past, they've kind of thrown these guys to the wolves a little bit. Perfetti, out of all of those players, is the only one that came out of the gate defensively responsible, though. Like, he does... I don't know. I, I really don't have a great answer as to why the team has been holding him back a little bit. Going back to the demotion with the second-line center, and then in recent games, seeing him get... I mean, he's he's basically 10th or 11th in five-on-five five ice time amongst forwards for this team. And I just, I, I think his play on the ice warrants a lot more. And maybe the the performance against the Rangers is the, the final push. Okay, we've we've held him back enough here. It's, it's time to get him somewhere closer to that 14, 15, 16-minute mark. But I, I've been really, really impressed by him in, in both ends of the ice. And I think like you touched on earlier there, He's going to be a boon to the power play. If, if they give him some opportunities there, let him run the show a little bit on the half wall. And I, I, I just, I think the world of him, and I think he's going to be a really impactful player. It just be nice to see that minutes get, get bumped up a little bit. Well, I, I, I've got a little bit of a theory about it and it doesn't have a lot to do with Cole Perfetti. It has to do with Nikolai Ehlers. Like he is on that line with Ehlers and Nemetsnikov, I think is a pretty defensively responsible player. But if you think about when that line has not seen a lot of ice time, it's been when they've been holding a lead. Um, it had been when they were trying to get to overtime at the end of a couple games right now. 
And if you look at Ehlers so far, I mean, again, we're talking about only nine games. He's been playing with Ehlers throughout. Ehlers had a really slow start. And even over the course of the last three games, I thought he was awesome against New York. I thought he was not particularly good against Montreal. And I thought he was really good in the game before that. So, again, we're talking about such a small number of games and, you know, two, three minutes here. I think it almost had more to do with Nikolai Ehlers than Cole Perfetti from my perspective. Yeah, I can, I can kind of see where you're... The Montreal one, they they needed to sit Nicky down at the Montreal one a little bit. That was that was one of his worst worst games as a Jet. He, he just didn't have it going in that one. Um, but yeah, you're. I mean, he has been slowly ramping it up there, which is which is nice. Um, I guess the caveat I would throw back at you here on that is just that you know, especially defensively, there there's one guy that continuously doesn't hold up his end of the bargain, but doesn't see his ice time shifted or, or flashed or cut dramatically, and that's Kyle Connor once again. And I, I thought, you know, even in that game against the Rangers, there were there were just a number of shifts where. It was just indifference, right? Like, it's not even... It's one thing if your defensive awareness is subpar. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're not able to process things defensively as quickly as you are offensively. I, I can I can kind of understand that as, as a high-end offensive guy. But a lack of effort and a lack of focus is just unacceptable. And it seems like there's different standards for different players at times. And that that's that's ultimately what kind of bothers me when, when we talk about ice time with the forward group, how there seems to be more of a punitive effect for guys a little bit further down the roster compared to when Kyle Connor allows a guy in OT to just kind of breeze right past him. And it's a high danger shot against Hellebuck that ends the game for you. So we'll see what happens, right? We'll, we'll see. The it, it, It's going to be intriguing how the ice time does get doled out in part because the Lowry line's so damn good. And it's going to be tough to take away some of their minutes. And if it's not going to be Lowry's line that's seen their time reduced, and if the fourth line's playing pretty good, you might have a little bit of tug-of-war between Mark Shifley's line and the domestic of Perfetti Ehlers line over the next handful of games. But I, I've been a big proponent of this, man. And, and when you're when you're the big drivers on a team, offensively, whatever it is, there needs to be a different standard defensively. Like you need to hold your game to another level to essentially let everybody else on the roster know this is this is the level we need to reach game in and game out. And it is frustrating watching some of these games, and it's just nowhere near the standard that you would see on a Boston, on a Colorado, et cetera, et cetera. I agree with you on that. The and listen, I, I I personally would love to see a move made, you know, listen, not staple guys to a bench for a whole period or whatever, but, you know, make a bit of a statement. The one thing I'll say is that Scott O'Neill is in a bit of a difficult situation being the That's interim fair. head coach right now. And I mean, listen, you need those guys going, you need them scoring, you need them playing at their best. And I'll just say this, it's probably a little bit easier for, a head coach to do that as opposed to a guy holding it down for somebody that's away dealing with what Rick is right now. Yeah. The sub teacher always has a bit of problems, <laughs> you know, laying down the level of the law and things like that. So yeah, that's I'll, I'll, I'll call touche on that. I'll wave the white flag and give and, and give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. Um, probably more of just like a macro thing as a whole though. Right. Like where it's just, if we're going to hold standards here, it's got to be top down. And, and and we'll see if that's going to be the case here. Um, 
but I, I yeah, that's completely fair that it's going to be difficult to essentially coach this team and manage this team the same way when the bench boss is is uh, dealing with more and more serious matters. So um, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. I, I am kind of intrigued to see a possibility of you know maybe um, Paul Perfetti up there with Mark Shifley for a little bit because I do think that there might be some potential uh, for those two on the same line. But don't ex- I'm not anticipating any changes over the next uh, handful of games. Um, Brandon, um, thoughts on this challenge tonight against the Knights, who uh, the Jets certainly played well against earlier this season, although they didn't get the result. And um, expectations for this road trip, going to Arizona, and then a couple days off, and then finishing it off in St. Louis, who uh, the Jets handled uh, here on home ice last week. Yeah, Vegas is good. Vegas is a good hockey team. You don't say. <laughs> yeah, they'll they'll be a tough one. Um, I mean, Winnipeg at home has played Vegas good. They don't seem to carry that same level of, of focus and um, attention to detail when they head out there to the Golden Knights for some reason. I, I don't know why that might be the case. But, I mean, it's it's it's. I, I like the test that Vegas offers because – it really is kind of like the ultimate barometer as to where your club is at because yeah. they play like defensively. They're so solid offensively. They forecheck the hell out of you. So you kind of get a good test of a, a good sense of where players are at right now. And I mean, there's no real surprises on Winnipeg's side. Like you played them five times at the end of last year. And then this will be the second time in 10 games to start this year. So, I mean, we, we all know what to expect. It's just going to be an absolute battle for the club. And uh, I mean, I always look at the blue line when you go up against Vegas to see how these guys are able to handle the four check. And I mean, so far it's been not too bad on the blue line, right? I mean, you've got uh, Dylan Sandberg who's pitching a, a no, no right now. Um, and there's yeah, another no kidding. You want to talk about ice time. There's another guy that we could let, let's throw a couple extra minutes on him. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I think, I think the jets are going to handle Vegas. Okay. In that one. I mean, I'm almost kind of, in a way, fascinated to see how they play against Arizona. Me the too. Coyotes have been outstanding. They they they're they're a ton of fun to watch. They're kind of like Buffalo last year. They remind me a little bit of the Sabers last year, where it's like, okay, we're getting goals tonight. Uh, what end of the ice? Let's find out. <laughs> and so I'm intrigued to see how how the Jets handle Arizona in their first matchup because the other, it, it feels sacrilegious and weird to say this out loud, but you know, Minnesota's not playing very good. Injuries as well there. St. Louis stinks. Chicago stinks. I don't like Nashville at all, even though they're hanging around. There might be a semi-chance that, you know, Arizona's battling in there with, with Winnipeg and Minnesota for a playoff spot this year if they continue to to kind of shock teams across the NHL as as well as they've done early on here. So I mean, that, that's no walk in the park like it used to be. So we'll, we'll see how the Jets handle the speed and then and the tenacity of Arizona. And, you know, that's always been kind of a weak spot for this Jets team. When they go up against a younger BD team, they, they've seemed to struggle. So I'm intrigued to see how they handle that one. Yeah. And just while you bring up the central division, I mean, it really does seem like there's sort of two teams that have established themselves as the class of the division, Colorado and Dallas Jets. will get their chance to play those teams coming up this month. Um, and the Jets are at four, three and two. You know, 10 points through nine games, maybe deserve a better fate, whatever. It is what it is. Um, but you're right. I mean, when I look at listen, I expect the Minnesota Wild to turn it around and Minnesota to be in the mix at some point, probably relatively soon. But Nashville, St. Louis, and Chicago, I think, are a step behind. But the Arizona team is the bit of the wild card. And we've thought about them as, you know, 
this joke franchise that plays in the junior hockey barn and um, you know hasn't really been competitive for a long time. Well, when you suck for that long, um, there are players that are come in. They made some nice additions with Dursey and um, with Dumba on the blue line. And as we all know, they've got a goaltender in Carl Vimelka that can get That's hotter than a pistol as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you ask Jet fans, exactly. How's this guy not up for the Vesna yeah. every year? So that game on uh, on Saturday is going to be a, a real inter- interesting test. Hey, before we uh, before we break, what uh, what did you think about the NHL taking the first round pick away from the Senators oh, and the very gosh. interesting comments from the new owner that said he sort of got blindsided and would have appreciated a little bit more information on this considering it had been on the commissioner's desk for up to two years. Yeah, and you just drop a bill. You drop a billy, and then oh, by the way, now that you now that the sales finalized, um, you're losing a guy for forty games, and uh, by the way, we're we're grabbing a first rounder out of you. I mean, Michael Anlauer is a beauty. Let's get that. Let's just get that off our chest right off the bat. Um, I'm sure there's about thirty other owners that were like, oh, maybe we should take a page out of his book. I think it's it, it's a tough one. Like I, I think it's ridiculous compared to how the league has disciplined other teams for, I mean, various different issues that they've had in the past. But I also do understand trying to make an example of, like, when you lie about a no-trade clause to another team and and the repercussions, ramifications that we saw from that, where, you know, even Anaheim kind of gets screwed over with losing out on a second-round draft pick. I like I I do understand that you do need to be pretty heavy-handed with your punishment there, but it also at the same time just outlines the idiocy of the league and that there isn't some kind of like centralized database on no trade clauses for player like like the NH all I know is in all of this the NHL comes out looking insanely bush league. I know Ottawa fans are absolutely livid and seeing how other franchises have been handled I, I totally understand them being as outraged as they are right now but what i would say is expect this to go the same route that we saw the new jersey devils I was go just about ago, to say where it's like look you lose the first round pick we can't do this what three years down the road ottawa will be like uh we're not going to give away any pick and then it's going to be either like okay we'll take your second or we bump you down to the end of the first round so I think that that maybe aligns a little bit better, right? Like wherever Ottawa finishes, if you push them down to the end of the first round, that seems like a pretty a pretty easy compromise. But we'll see what the NHL does here. I li- I do like the the sentiment though that uh, Ann Lauer is about to get fined in uh, 2027. But it's <laughs> so I'm with you. I'm with you. I would make a wager right now that when it ends up, it'll be a second round pick. And I think that has a lot to do with what Anaheim, Anaheim's rolling in and what was going to be coming back to them. And um, I'm with you. I loved it. Okay, listen, the chat's going nuts just on the way out. Would you like to introduce the dog to everybody uh, that uh, that is uh, anxiously waiting to uh, see any mention of a dog in chat? People lose it. The worst part is this poor guy. He just got his, uh, his kibbles and bits removed. So he's, He's rocking oh, okay. the cane right now as well. But yeah, give me give me a sec if you want to just. I'll, yeah, maybe if Rima could just turn off my video, I'll, I'll I'll bring the I'll bring the little guy out here quick. Sounds good. Sounds good. There you go. See, we do it all for you. Even even a dog that is, uh, you know, doing a little bit of a little bit of recuperation after uh, after a certain uh, after a certain oh. surgery. Here we go. What's what's the dog's name? Really. 
to have to. Uh, his name is Duke. Look at Duke. Duke, have any thoughts on the power play? Hey, Dukey. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. He's he's livid. He can't. He doesn't like how static and predictable it's become. <laughs> oh man. Everyone's loving it. Everyone's loving it. Brandon, uh, give give Duke a milk bone for everybody in the chat. Um, enjoy this game tonight. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up next week as the team finishes up this roadie and comes back for five at Canada Life Center. Sounds good, man. Have a great weekend. We'll talk soon. <laughs> there it is, Brandon and Duke. <clears throat> Excuse me, on WST. All right, we're going to continue the Jets talk. Murata Tesh coming up in just a moment, as I did mention that uh, Jets on the road for three, back a week today against the Nashville Predators, and then that big game against the Dallas Stars on Saturday afternoon as part of Super Saturday in Winnipeg with the Jets and Stars at two and the Bombers in the West Final at 5.30. Tickets are available right now. Get them at uh, winnipegjets.com. And uh, again, if you are thinking about a smaller ticket package, um, they'd love to get you on board. Find out more at the website. And uh, certainly if you're at a game, actually went by and uh, saw they've got a bunch of reps up in the uh, north end, sort of near the main entrance. So if you are at a game and you ever have any questions on uh, things like that, make sure to pop by, say hi. They'd love to help you out with that. Um, hey, I've got to thank our friends at Vita Health Fresh Market. Speaking of men's health and, uh, you know, the, the month of November, very important month and Vita Health, a big part of it as well. If you're looking for great prices on natural and organic supplements, beauty products and groceries, get on down to one of six Vita Health Fresh Market stores or online fully shoppable website with local delivery at myvita.ca. But it is Men's Health Month. Prairie Naturals offers Canada's number one line of men's health supplements formulated to help support the changing needs of a man's body. Uh, Proust Forest is an evidence-based formulation of key nutritional and uh, and phytochemical ingredients researchers recommend for prostate health. Prairie Naturals men's health supplements can help males address the challenges with prostate health, andropause, low libido, low testosterone, stress, male energy, and performance. And they're on sale all month at Vita Health, proudly family-owned and operated since 1936 in Winnipeg. And don't forget, they also have Winnipeg's largest assortment of local products, too. Pop down and see them at one of six Winnipeg locations and online at myvita.ca. Hey, you all know that Wallace & Wallace are the fencing experts in town. You've seen their fences and trucks all over the city. Uh, But did you know that they're also the leader in overhead garage doors? And that overhead garage door... Uh, had lots of ups and downs this summer, getting you and your family and all the summer fun. Uh, but that garage door is about to work a whole lot harder because winter puts much more stress on a garage door. The right time to prevent downtime this winter is now. Call Wallace & Wallace to book your inspection and maintenance service call today for residential and commercial overhead door sales and service. There's only one name or two you need to know. That, of course, is Wallace & Wallace. And, uh, guys, the holidays are, believe it or not, just around the corner. There'll be holiday gatherings coming up in November, never mind December. Um, When you look in your closet, do you realize that eh, maybe it's time to step up the menswear game? Well, there's one place you can do that and do it quick, and that is F Apparel down at 190 Smith Street. Um, An amazing place for so many aspects of your closet, starting off with custom suits, beginning at 400 bucks, along with chinos, golf pants, custom shirts, both tucked and untucked styles, 
and an incredible selection of menswear accessories. And hey, if you are getting married or you're in a wedding party, make sure to talk to the guys down at F about a 15% discount for the wedding party when you get your suits at F Apparel. Pop down and see them, 190 Smith Street, or make an appointment and find out more online at F, that's E-P-H, apparel.com. All right, Jets and Knights tonight. Let's get the latest on the squad with our pal Murata Tesh from The Athletic. Murat, how are you? I am doing well, Huss. Good to be here. Good to see you. Good to see all this men's health work you're doing. Yeah, it's a big month. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, often we get, uh, you know, kind of focused in on the minutia of the day-to-day of all of us and obviously the things we love to kind of dive into, like the hockey team. But, uh, you know, it is important to uh, kind of do your part personally um, to maintain your own health and not listen, getting into uh, the uh, Movember month. It's a great opportunity for us to use this platform, bring people together, both awareness and raise some money for the cause. So we're looking forward to doing that. Hey, listen, before we get to tonight's game and the challenge of this upcoming road trip, I want to pull back to uh, to Monday because um, you had some great stuff in the athletic on the return of Blake Wheeler and, you know, being in the building in the stands that, that night, um, you know, listen, I know we've had different thoughts on Blake at different times, but I mean, this guy was the face of the franchise for a long time and such an important Winnipeg Jet. And uh, what a welcome from the first class uh, video that they put up, but the welcome and the reception that he had from Jet fans. I was a real special moment on Monday night. Yeah, I I was delighted by that. I like when fans are united in love and that sounds cheesy, but I think that's what was happening at that moment. Uh, when a video tribute plays and the fans are so loud that you can't hear Wheeler's audio as they're doing the voiceover on the scoreboard, that's a pretty special thing. And uh, to see everybody come to their feet, to see Wheeler's obviously sheepish uh, grin and then the, the heart gesture to his old teammates on the bench, I think that, uh, you know, it was it was touching and it was moving. And when you see that contrasted even to that Pierre-Luc Dubois visit from just a couple weeks ago, you can tell that Jets fans feel deeply the difference between somebody, even a great player who was there for two and a half years versus somebody who gave all of himself to the franchise for over a decade. I think that's what Wheeler deserved in terms of uh, a reflection on what he gave to the city and the team. Yeah, with you on that. And, uh, you know, as they say, I wanted to be in the stands to be one of those fans to, you know, thank Blake for, you know, what he uh, did for so long. You know, we can all talk about the way things ended, why they did. Um, but in a lot of ways, that's in the rear view. This was a night to uh, welcome Blake and his family back. Appreciate what he did here in Winnipeg. I'm sure at some point, once he's done playing, there'll be another bigger ceremony for Blake. I can almost guarantee that. Um, but moving forward, the Winnipeg Jets are uh, a different team, uh, I think, in the locker room, outside without Blake Wheeler. Um, and so far, the results have been pretty good. Um, what? You know, it's hard to complain about points in five straight. They won those three games, left one on the table in Montreal, I thought. And then, you know, and we heard it from Scott O'Neill afterwards. And this has been something that, man, we've talked a lot about the last couple of days. But special teams right now is sort of the anchor for the Winnipeg Jets because at five on five, I'm sure, Marat, you'd agree, this team has been probably exceeded most people's expectations when somebody hasn't been in the penalty box. Yeah, the Jets are one of the league's top teams at five on five in certain respects. And I think that that is such a pleasant surprise, a good development. Uh, it speaks really well to the the high pressure game that the Jets are playing on the four check. 
Um, you can see the Jets get exposed sometimes when a four check gets beat and now you've got a defender stepping up aggressively and they get beat too. All of a sudden there's a two on one. We've seen even Winnipeg's best defensemen get caught that way. But overall, the whole of it is that Winnipeg is uh, an entertaining up ice, aggressive team that pressures the puck. And, you know, I've, I've, I've longed for those days, to be honest. You know, they're the, the teams that are the standard in the NHL can play that game for 60 minutes and they're dogged and they're determined. And Winnipeg has, t- has taken a step closer to that. Still has some work to do. And certainly I think you'd like to upgrade the defense to make sure that, that some of those holes don't open up. Put that aside, focus on what's killing them and what's costing them points and that power play that's gone 0 for 13, 0 for 16, whatever it is in the last uh, four games or so. Uh, Two four-on-three overtime situations and four-on-three power plays are are deadly. They're more dangerous league-wide on aggregate than a five-on-four because there's more time and more space out there on the ice. So if the Jets are going to hit two overtimes and get two four-on-three power plays, you'd expect them to to be able to have that killer instinct and take the game. If they're not doing that, well, you'd hope for at least one goal at some point over the the last few games from them as well. So, Uh, Yeah, I think that's a valid point of concern. I'm with Duke the dog talking about the stagnancy of the the, uh, movement. Um, And I think that two things are happening for me that I that I don't like. I mean, they're getting the zone fine. They're getting into space. That's good. But I, I do find it to be really quite stationary. I don't think that passes are being made with the, the quickness or into spots that are opening up or challenging penalty kills to, to even draw them a little bit of a, out of position. And I think that some of Winnipeg's biggest shooting threats aren't really shooting threats. Uh, Kyle Connor hasn't scored a goal from outside the top of the circles uh, in two seasons leading up to this one. I don't think he's earning a ton of shooting respect up above that top of the circle when he gets the puck down low or a little bit lower into the circle, even starts making plays. That gets dangerous. Mark Shifley can be dangerous. There are other things, but they're not making that first move that opens anything up. And, you know, it's looking quite slow out there. You know, in addition to the puck movement, and and listen, I'm with you. I mean, the four-on-three was concerning. And it's one thing if you're not scoring, but if you're really not generating much, I mean, that's where the real concern comes in. And I think that's where we're at with the power play right now. But, I mean, you know, we saw two power plays. The Jets' power play, which is struggling, and the Rangers, which is nuclear right now on Monday night. And and, and one of the things that stood out to me, in it, like outside of the puck movement and the decision-making and the Christmas of the passing – was just how much more Connor Hellebuck had to deal with than Ilya Shesterkin. And listen, getting a dump truck like Chris Kreider in front of the net will do that. But, I mean, there has not been a lot of traffic in front of the net, um, and they have not made it difficult from the get-go to take advantage of that man advantage You know, when in those situations um, to get a little bit more traffic, whether it's for rebounds. I mean, Sometimes even on the power play, you've got to get somewhat of a dirty goal. We have seen some nice deflections earlier in the season from Alex Iofalo, but um, I'd be interested in your thoughts on um, you know the Jets being sort of a perimeter power play and not getting anything in the uh, in the blue paint. Yeah, I think perimeter power play is a great way to describe it. You, when you, a power play should have more options than the penalty kill can defend. That's the whole dream, right? I mean, if they give you one thing, you've got one extra player on the ice, you can take the other thing. And Winnipeg has been deadly when, you know, to bring Blake Wheeler back into the conversation, when he had three passing options and Buffalo and Liney and Shifley and defenses could only take two of those away, well, he'd make, he'd make things happen. 
Now it, it seems as though Winnipeg's stuck on the outside and they haven't they haven't been able to exploit what they get. Against New York, the, the Rangers played a very passive PK. They were um, they would pressure if the puck looked bobbled or anything to that effect, so you'd see them ramp it up. But when Winnipeg was established with possession, they played a very passive PK. They took away the middle and left Winnipeg the outside. So, okay, great. What, what, what are the Jets supposed to do with that? Um, I think what they're supposed to do that is is blast away and take so many shots and then win the races to the rebounds and the scrambles and and shoot again and until they can create some scrambles and I think that's what Scott Arneal was speaking to in the post game and to do that I think that you need to be able to move the puck quickly and then be willing to shoot and then be willing to win battles that get gets that puck back and ideally in the scramble off that rebound whether the puck goes into the corner is in front of the net or wherever this passive pk that hasn't been made to move at all does have to move and does have to scramble and goes and chases the puck you get the puck back and you exploit the space behind them and if traffic in front helps you win that puck back great and i think there are a lot of examples of power plays that work that way I don't think it's mandatory as long as the puck's being moved well and shot well, uh, because I think you can see bumper players kind of get off the side of the net and get into the corners and win pucks back too. Uh, Scott O'Neill did make a switch on the PP from uh, Montreal to the game against the Rangers, and that was a swap of Ehlers and Perfetti. Um, Listen, there wasn't immediate results. We talked about how the power play struggled, but um, what do you think about the potential of Cole with that first unit and – where makes sense? Where can he benefit the power play the most uh, when it's set up? Yeah, I, I mean, I like Cole Perfetti's skill set to be a dangerous power play player for a long time. Uh, I think the most dangerous spot that he's he's going to be is on either flank, and you know that's tough. He's not going to get that job with Mark Scheifele and Kyle Connor uh, on the team and the quality of player that they are. But for me. I always go back to wherever that player is, can they be a threat in two ways? Can they sh- can they make a pass into a, a dangerous option or multiple dangerous options, or can they get to the puck in a dangerous way? And with Cole Perfetti sort of in that bumper position, yeah, I think he's going to be able to find some passes that you know are ideally low to high passes that set up Connor or Shifley for shots or into the slot with Iafalo there or whoever's going to be attacking the slot at a given moment. I think that he has the vision for that. I'm not sure that I rate him as a bumper player to be terrific in traffic or getting those, uh, getting like bulldogging his way to the net, those types of in tight plays. Uh, if they do leave him exposed, he has the skill to take advantage of space. But that's, you know, I think long term, you, you, you would ideally see him come out of the bumper, but you're not going to see him take that spot from Shifley, who is a credible passing or shooting threat. And I think Kyle Connor's job is safe too, even though I'm not convinced i am not convinced that pks are are treating his one-timer as a as a credible shooting threat at this moment despite his goal scoring ability and the way that he can just carve defenses apart um so yeah again just to answer your the actual question i think it's one of those flank spots in the long run for perfetti and i don't think that that job is open for him just yet so he'll have to make the best of what he's got and move the pucks to those players who are dangerous or should be yeah, I really like Cole's uh, game the uh, the last couple, really overall this season, to be honest. But I think, you know, for any conversation about, hey, maybe they need to get him out there a little bit more, which Scar Neal copped to after the St. Louis game, he's making his case every time he gets out on the ice. What have you thought of the top line over the past week? Yeah, it's struggling uh, on, on a whole. Like, if you if you look at the Winnipeg Jets roster and you just look at the forwards, 
you think, okay, you know, it's actually kind of okay if that Shifley line saws off its opposition. If they can play against other first lines or other really great opponents and it's more or less 50-50, you might expect Winnipeg's depth to be able to win the rest of the game for them. And I think that that's a reasonable goal. I think it's okay if Winnipeg's top line is average for a top line. Ideally, they're so productive that, you know, they're actually very good for a top line and they're uh, they're adding even more than that. But I don't think that's necessarily been the case. I think by eye, though you haven't seen it separate out in some of the the numbers and analysis yet, I think by eye, Mark Scheifele is having really quite a quality start to a season in all three zones. And not to pick on Kyle Connor again, who I really rate as just a tremendous player, especially offensively, but I think there's been lots of plays that have died on Connor's stick that have maybe let the air out of Shifley's improved two-way game this year. There have been a lot of plays where Shifley tracks back 200 feet, wins the puck below the goal line or in the slot or what have you, moves the puck to Connor on the wall, and that puck either doesn't get out of the zone. You can look at Garrett Hole's track to exit numbers for that. Or uh, Connor does get into the offensive zone, and he does what you'd want him to do, which is try to create, but he hasn't had success creating offensive opportunities at 5-on-5 or creating a lot of offense there. Uh, So... The, the play is dying and, and that line isn't getting the results for it. So my overall impression is that Shifley is just like just he's doing the right things that I could imagine him boiling over into a really uh, excellent first half of the season when things get going. But I think that they haven't found it as a whole and as a collective. And, um, you know, I, I don't think that those two should be stapled at the hip as an absolute guarantee if they can't get it going. It's funny that you mention, uh, and I think quite uh, astutely, um, you know, the issues that that line has had sometimes with plays dying on Kyle Connor's stick, because that's something we've heard about Nikolai Ehlers quite often when things aren't going well for Ehlers. And, you know, they certainly have made moves. Now, listen, Kyle Connor scored 47 goals. They lean on him for a lot of offense. And at some point you need to get that guy going and snap it out. And I realize it's probably, as I talk with Brandon, Maybe a little bit of a different challenge for an interim head coach to maybe make some of the decisions that you would if you had full reign as the head coach right now. But do you see similarities when things aren't going well for Connor as opposed to some of the downs in between the ups that Ehlers has had so far this season? I see so many similarities between these two players. The style is a little bit different and Ehlers can look like the decisions he makes look a little bit more outlandish when he's having a bad game. But in terms of the results, there are such similar players in terms of their offense, you know, going cold from time to time. I just think that depending on what side of various narratives you are, I don't think that they get talked about as similar players often enough. I think I don't think Nick Ehlers would put 47 goals up playing on that top line, getting Kyle Connor minutes, but I do think that the gap in points would be a lot closer and and Connor, I don't necessarily think would be able to produce per minute the same way that Ehlers does. They both go cold. Sometimes they both don't help you win those battles in your own zone. Although Ehlers puck transition helps you stay out of your own zone a little bit more. Um, and like, it, how do I say this? There's been a lot of discussion about Nick Ehlers via Cole Perfetti. That second line gets pulled off the ice at certain high leverage defensive moments. And you're like, okay, well, I get it. You know, Ehlers isn't as good of a bet to win that battle, block that shot, get the puck out or whatever else it is. Cole Perfetti, a younger player. Okay, is that the argument? 
I mean, we can put aside their defensive numbers and just like look at it stylistically and say, okay, but Kyle Connor isn't better than them in the defensive zone. And he gets sort of looked over or treated as if he is. And I think it's because he's created so much and been part of Shifley Wheeler Connor lines for so long that he's been, um, that he's been treated like this surefire first line player in all three zones. And I just think that he's a really brilliant offensive player who can create more than he gives up. And that's a great thing to have on a team. Uh, but, uh, I mean, this is a long and winding sentence, but I guess that what I'm saying is that their defensive impact, once the puck is in their zone, is pretty much the same, and they both go cold, but nobody talks about it when Connor does. Well, and, and, and listen, I mean, our focus was sort of on some low ice time for Cole Perfetti, and as a you know a younger player, you know, in a new position, although he's been moved back to the wing, um, you know, it's an obvious place to start. Has he earned the trust of the coaches in those situations? You know, we'll see. But like I was talking to Brandon earlier, I, I mean, when you look at Ehlers' season so far. I have a feeling that, you know, some of the limited ice time in particular situations has had as much to do, if not more, with Nick on particular nights than anything Cole Perfetti's doing. Because, I mean, listen, when I see him shift in and shift out, we know what he can do in the offensive zone. I think they've been doing a much better job of spending more time there. Um, But he really does seem to be making a concerted effort to be in the right spot, to be on the right side of the puck, to be doing those things. And... When Ehlers has had some off games, which there has been, and this is not to pick on him, I think he's been really good in two of the last three games, but we're only talking about nine games in a season for a guy that missed all of training camp. Um, I think we need to look more than just at the one young player on that line and the other guys that he's playing with that a lot are expected of. I think that's a good, solid zoom out. Like that, that's so sensible, us. That's so, uh, so sensible. And especially when Ehlers' start hasn't been in line with Ehlers' career to this point, right? Like, not only is he making some of those puck decisions that kind of make you scratch your head sometimes, but he's not producing or looking as dy- dangerous and dynamic in most of those games. Now he's coming on now, probably a little bit, right? Like, um, and that goal that he scored three games ago was fantastic. And, of course, he, he was productive in the most recent one as well. Um, but when he isn't productive on the whole and he makes passes that turn the puck over in surprising ways, that sticks in people's memories. That lasts and that frustrates people. And I think that, you know, if, uh, if Kyle Connor makes a turnover, you're like, oh, actually, I can see exactly what he was trying to do. And even though in the end, at the end of the day, a turnover is a turnover, I think Ehlers makes people scratch their heads a little bit more. And I think that he's harder to, when he makes a mistake like that, trust for a coach, especially a Rick Bonus type coach who still, even though he's away from the team, it's, uh, you know, he was the leader of, of these decisions. Um, I think that that's a tough sell. And what they're need, what they're going to need to do, is produce so well for so long and so consistency um, that that good health and a good run of games gives them to earn to earn something that they haven't had yet. And just to close that thought, I feel like I'm a bit long and winding today, Hus. To be completely honest, I love but it. To, to close that thought, like one of the things, if you think from Rick Bonus's perspective as a human being. Uh, and again, I'm just referring to him because I think he's the most influential person and it's unfortunate he, he's away from the team right now. But he has yet to see Nikolai Ehlers play a fully healthy season all of the way through. He's yet to see um, yet to see some of the things that if you zoom out and look at things on the whole, we might take a little bit more for granted. And I think that based on his limited 
tip of the iceberg viewing, um, even though it's been a couple of years now, uh, it seems reasonable that he might not trust him yet. He might want to see a lot of games in a row where he's doing all of the right things before he does. Um, Murat, we spent a lot of time talking on the power play, but this team has given up a power play goal on the PK in eight of nine so far. I'll be honest, I attribute some of that to not a great start in the net for the first four games or so. I mean, based on what you're seeing on the penalty kill right now, is there any reason to worry or are these numbers going to look better and better as Connor Hellebuck continues to play at a high level that he is right now? You know, it's a good question, and, and I haven't done the deep dive just yet. Um, by eye, there have been some moments where what is supposed to be a passive PK does get pulled out of position, and that I am a little bit worried about, to be honest. Like, if the Jets are going to play this sort of zonal passive PK, uh, they're going to use their two defensemen to step into shooting lanes, and they give up the front of the net a little bit and things like that. Well, you don't want to see them stretched out of position such that space opens up elsewhere. You want to see them just as perfectly in position as the New York Rangers PK was against them the other night. And I'm not sure that I have. And so we'd have to look at some scoring chance numbers and some where those shots are coming from and some pre-shot passing data as well to, to make the analytical case for it. Right now, I think just by eye, I think that they are getting pulled out more than I'd, I, more than I'd like for them. Murat, always great having you on the program. Uh, enjoy this one tonight. Have an awesome weekend, and we'll talk to you next week when the team gets back here to the peg for a, a five-game homestand. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Huss. Appreciate it. There's Murat Atesh. You can read uh, all of his work at The Athletic and make sure to follow him on Twitter at WPG Murat. We will have more on tonight's game with Jesse Granger, Murat's colleague from The Athletic in Vegas, in just a few minutes. Or we're going to talk a little football with Dave Naylor, CFL and NFL, for a few minutes as Dave joins us from Orchard Park. Of course, all our Bomber and CFL reports brought to you by Princess Auto, where you'll find the best deals on the most unique assortment of tools and equipment around. Everything you need to complete the projects on your list or start something new is at Princess Auto. Pop by and see him at one of two Winnipeg locations, Panet Road or Portage Avenue West. And you can always shop online 24-7, 365 at princessauto.com. Um, whether you're getting ready for your next trip to Canada Life Center or for that West Final, if you need to uh, pop and add a little bit of uh, bomber gear or jet gear to your wardrobe for these big games coming up, you know where to do that. Royal Sports, 750 Pemina Highway, thousands of pieces of Jets merchandise, all the jerseys personalized with your favorite name and number of your favorite player and uh, great warm bomber wear. And we're going to need some of that for uh, what should be a chilly afternoon with a 5.30 kickoff on Remembrance Day. It's all waiting for you at Royal Sports. While you're there, make sure to check out their massive NFL section, um, merch and jerseys from around the National Hockey League as well. And, of course, when it comes to hockey, nobody beats Royal Sports 40 years in the business as the hockey superstore in town for players of all ages and all skill levels. Uh, make sure to follow them on Instagram at Royal Sports Pemina. Lots of great holiday gift ideas and merchandise drops that sometimes go quickly. So stay on top of that and uh, pop by and see them at 750 Pemina Highway. And just before we head out to Orchard Park, don't forget tonight we got the Titans and Steelers at 7.15 in Monday night and Thursday night football. And then a 9 o'clock puck drop for the Jets and Vegas Golden Knights. No better place to watch it than your local Boston pizza. Big screens, big sound, 
big beers with those delicious schooners, not to mention world-famous BP wings, gourmet pizzas, and all the great new treats on that BP Appy menu. Tonight, make it BP, and if you are staying at home, order online for home delivery at bostonpizza.com. Back to Vegas in a few minutes, but first, let's head to Buffalo and talk to Dave Naylor about the upcoming weekend in the CFL and the NFL. Nails, how are you, my man? Uh, great to have you back on the program. Technically in Orchard Park, New York, but yes, uh, at the home of the Buffalo Bills, one Bills drive I'm speaking to you today from. Hey, listen, just before we get to uh, Bills-Bengals huge game and the rest of the NFL, uh, CFL Saturday, playoff Saturday, you know, we got some, took a couple real interesting matchups, and Listen, I think it's a great move to Saturday. Tell, interested on in your thoughts on moving the playoff games, at least, you know, this week and next to Saturday. Um, and the response right now at the gate sounds like they're going to have a real good one in BC. Yeah, I, I, I think I think they are. And I think there's been a real concerted effort to get the word out that these are Saturday playoff games. And I think everybody's got to kind of reserve judgment over this uh, just off of one year. And that's why I say this. I mean, we tried this. We, I mean, TSN, and, and I'm speaking as, although I don't speak for TSN on this issue, I'd like to be clear about that. Um, uh, you know, it was about 10 years ago, I think, that, that the very first time they tried to put the games on Saturdays and the ratings dropped. And that was just, I think that's just habit viewing. You know, there's kind of a, an expression, I'll borrow from the newspaper business, you know, don't move the comics, right? That's kind of what they say. And that was, I think, one of the lessons in doing that was that, hey, a lot of people just habit form, even though the CFL is a Thursday, Friday, Saturday league throughout the season. And after Labor Day, it's primarily a Friday and Saturday league. Uh, you know, people were still adjusted to playoff games on Sundays. So you know, the word is out. They're Saturdays. Uh, I, I think there's going to be some patience that, you know, if there is a, uh, you know, a, a maybe not as high as last year's ratings, but this isn't something necessarily you outvaluate out for one year. I think it's a long-term strategy, and so, yeah, a little bit different, but I, I, I'm happy with it, and, uh, yeah, I'm excited. I say I think, it, I think it brings it kind of more in line with what we are. I mean, we are a, a Friday-Saturday league after Labor Day. I think Grey Cup Sunday would be harder to move because you talk about traditions and habits and all those kinds of things. I mean, Grey Cup Sunday falls, you know, right in line with Super Bowl Sunday as kind of a, a national holiday type of experience, and I don't know if we'll ever see that move, but – um, we'll see. I'm, I'm happy to see the, the playoffs on Saturdays this year. As well, and I saw your uh, pal and a colleague Farhan Lalji reporting that um, BC Lions are going to be getting to the upper deck. I mean, it's been a, it, a lot of really positive trends happening in a few of the markets, especially BC. And, hey, listen, their uh, football team is a big part of that. Um, but just thoughts on where the uh, Lions are at crowd-wise and at this point. And then, of course, what really counts, and that's winning the football game against the Stamps. Well, I think it's great to see that. And what, what, you know, that's hard work by Amar Doman in that market and bringing, you know, the fan base back and having a good football team and hosting playoff games certainly helps with that. And hey, you look ahead to next week, even in Toronto, Hustler, like they've passed the 20,000 mark. I believe 27,000 or so is a, is a hard sell out there. So, I mean, particularly if they get the Ticats as an opponent, uh, I think they got a real good shot at, at selling out that game at BMO Field. And what a great thing that would be. And even if they don't, I, I think they should still have a shot at it. And I'm just going to digress here for a moment. I was thinking about this the other day that I get messages from people on Twitter that say things like, well, you know, why do before the league expands, why don't they get the fans back? You know, and why before they want to grow, why don't they try to get back to where they were? And like, I was just remembering, like I covered in 1988 when I was a student, first grade cup I ever covered. It was a Winnipeg Grey Cup BC in, game in Ottawa. 
And I remember the Bombers had drawn like 15,000 to the Western final like the week before. So like I, what I'm trying to do is get away from this golden age mentality, right? That everything in the CFL was better 30 years ago or 35 years ago. Uh, I mean, look what's gone on in Winnipeg right now. They closed the season with four straight 32,000 plus crowds. What we're seeing in BC, what we're seeing in Toronto, um, you know, again, I just I just think we got to get out of this sort of comparing everything to the late 1970s, you know, when teams were getting 60,000 a game and stuff like that, which was great. And we'd all love to get back there. But uh, I, I think these are actually, you know, decent salad days for the CFL attendance wise. Now, the game, you know, the stamps changed the whole dynamic in this game when they went in there and won that game 41 to 16 and ran all over the Lions. I mean, that, that was Calgary's best overall game. Uh, certainly wasn't BC's. The Lions looked like they weren't playing for anything, and maybe in their minds they really weren't because they were still long shots. But, hey, first place in the division was still up for grabs. You got a home playoff game against an opponent you might face. And, again, it was particularly the way they got exposed on the run that I think is really kind of intriguing and seeing that matchup play out at playoff time and how different or how similar it might be to what it was three weeks ago. Yeah, listen, I think the game itself is going to be great. But just back to your point on the crowds and attendance, I can assure you, as someone that's been following the Winnipeg Blue Bombers for a long time, uh, this is the golden era of Blue Bomber (laughs) football right now, certainly in my lifetime. I mean, I can obviously in the 80s, early 90s, they, you know, had a real solid team. But I mean, crowd wise. No, the support was was nothing like this. When was the last time? I guess it would probably be Saskatchewan that a team sold out four straight games at crowds of over 30K. I, I think you'd be talking about, yeah, maybe a, a sort of new mosaic experience, you know, I, and I can't say for certain that they did, that those were hard sellouts in every single one. Um, I, I think it's, it's remarkable, you know, seeing, I, I think, you know, when you look at the bombers on the merchandise side, on the attendance wise, on the football side, Hey, hats off to Wade Miller, you know, like that's when you're the president of the organization, everything that falls on you is either ultimately your responsibility, good and bad. Man, there's been a ton of good in Winnipeg over the last few years, and it's you know it's a great benchmark for the rest of the league to just look at and see what's possible. You know how you can maximize the returns on a CFL franchise if you do things right. And and I've always said, man, I'm not taking anything away from Saskatchewan. It's a great CFL market, but I always say Winnipeg is a very underrated CFL market. Well, I think the Bombers have really set the bar this season and over the past few. And hey, listen, Saskatchewan's got a lot of work to to be done as well. Toronto has been in that situation the last few years. Listen, on the field, they have been unreal. I mean, 16-2, and the record speaks for itself. How positive a season, though, has this been for the Argos? You mentioned that very promising crowd next week for the East Final. Uh, Are things coming around for the Double Blue? You know, I think they are. I mean, their crowds have been up, and that's saying something because the schedule was not really their friend this year, either over the course of the summer where they seem to be playing everywhere except BMO Field. And then by the time that they returned to BMO Field, you know, the, the games weren't meaningful. <laughs> like it's, and it's, it's a hard thing to criticize. Well, geez, guys, you shouldn't have clinched first place after 12 games. you got a 30-year schedule. It's meaningless. And we got mostly home games on the back half of the schedule. But, you know, I sat in the stands for two of those games. The crowds were pretty good. The energy was up. You know, they really pushed the group sale thing. Uh, and, 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 you know, the big thing is, for the first time, really, since Ricky Ray, this team has a face of a franchise, somebody they can identify with. And with all due respect to McLeod Bethel-Thompson, he just was never somebody who kind of got ingrained with the fan base. You know, it kind of felt like he was sort of here temporarily, and ultimately he was. He went back to the USFL. But, uh, you know, Chad Kelly's a guy who's now signed a new three-year contract. He'll be the highest-paid player in the league next season, unless there's somebody who takes that away from him this offseason. Uh, he's a guy who's living here year-round, 
speaks positively to the community, comes from two hours away. I mean, just everything has lined up. And and I don't think he's a threat to go to the National Football League because of just his age and his background and his lack of playing experience in that league. He's not going to go as a number one. He doesn't really fit as a number two without playing experience. And he's not a developmental guy at 29, 30 years old as a number three. So I think the Argos have found a unicorn. And it's nice when you go to the games, you actually see fans wearing jerseys of players who are on the field and not guys that played 20 or 30 years ago. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that, you know, again, it's been tough to measure the crowd thing because, again, people have necessarily ponied up for the games that, that don't matter down the stretch. But I think you're seeing some of that appreciation for what's gone on in Toronto. I mean, just Chad Kelly, you know, last night being at the Raptors game, interviewed courtside by Kate Burness, you know, his presence. He's thrown the first pitch at a Blue Jay game. I mean, Chad, I look, I don't know what the limits are for the Toronto Argonauts in terms of the marketplace. We all know how competitive it is. We know how the CFL, you know, sort of fell behind the other sports there. But, you know, over the next three to five years, Chad Kelly and this Argo team might give us an opportunity to test those limits and find out what they are. And I think that starts in the Eastern final. Hey, Nail, speaking of Chad Kelly, um, it's Brady Oliveira and Chad Kelly going for the MOP in Hamilton. Um Listen, Kelly has led his team to the best record. Um, he didn't play in Winnipeg in the game that everyone was hoping to see. He's fourth in passing yards. He is third in TDs, 10 behind Zach Caleros. Um, but the record speaks for itself. And you mentioned sort of their situation in the last third of the season. How's that going to affect the MOP race? And uh, how do you see this one playing out? You know, I I feel like Brady Oliveira is going to win it. I feel like just... You know, I think it hurt Chad a little bit, you know, not playing two games, um, you know, not playing as much meaningful football as other players. Again, not his fault. And that in some of the games where it was meaningful football, you know, the Argonauts objective in the second half of the game was just to grind the clock. Right. And they got such a good run game. So he's not racking up the Star Wars stats necessarily in games like that. Now, I, and look, I'm somebody I should be clear. I, I don't really believe wins and losses is a quarterback stat. I, I kind of hate when individual games are broken down as a quarterback winning or losing it because half the game's played on defense and the quarterback is not on the field. But when it comes to the course of a season, I mean, to go 16 and two, or as Chad is, I believe uh, he's 15 and zero in games where he played at least a half. That's that's a pretty good stat. Like you can't. And I know that's a team stat, and I say I just I'm going against what I said about not measuring quarterbacks by wins and losses. But when when you play, when every game you played at least a half a football in as a quarterback, your team won. That's impressive, and I think Chad showed that when there were times he had to make a play, and the Argonauts weren't playing from very from behind very often this season, he could. I mean, he did some dynamic things at the end of the games. All that said. Uh, I'm not sure any player in the CFL did their job as well as Brady Oliveira did his this season. And just the consistency. And I'm talking from game one to game eight, 20, you know, week 21. I'm talking about establishing the ball, running it the first half, running it, running at the end of games, running it when the Bombers got bogged down, catching it out of the backfield, securing the football. I mean, he just, he just did so many things well that I think you can make a really strong and compelling case for either of these guys. There is no wrong vote. You know, I don't. I don't mind saying I voted for both of them for their for out of the, the respective divisions, uh, so I won't be upset with with either one of them winning. I, I really think these are two very deserving and and very. I think you can look at it very different ways, candidates. But boy, we really do have a couple of great candidates on stage for for MOP this year. Nails, we're going to uh, sort of break down the East Semi with uh, your colleague Marshall Ferguson tomorrow on the program. But um, uh, who do you expect to be playing the Argos for a trip to the Great Cup in a week? 
You know, I, I think the Hamilton Tiger Cats, and this is more respect for Hamilton than, than disrespect to Montreal, I hope that I think they've really been trending in a positive direction this whole season. I mean, look at their first third of the year, the injured quarterbacks, the 0-3 start, and then you've got, you've, you've got the 0-3 start, and the defense was giving up 30 points a game. Look at the way that evolved over the course of the season. I mean, after the, I think it's August the 5th, it's, a, it's the date where they went in and beat BC, which I think is where their season really turned, when Hamilton went in there and beat BC. The only games the Ticats lost, you know, other than, you know, again, end of the year, meaningless, but the only meaningful games they lost, they lost twice to the Toronto Argonauts, and then they lost in the last second field goal to BC, and that's it in terms of meaningful games. And that, again, a lot of those games, they were playing with Taylor Powell. So now all of a sudden you've got Bo Levi Mitchell back, you've got Matthew Schultz back, and you know look, there's two games early this season where Montreal hammered Hamilton. Bo didn't play in either of those, and Matthew Schultz played in one of them. And I think that was a very different Hamilton offense at that time. If you look at that game, I think Matthew Schultz threw the ball 47 times, and James Butler ran at about five. I can tell you that's not going to happen on Sunday <laughs> for sure. So there's kind of a you know not only does Hamilton have the you know, they're going to use two quarterbacks. They're forcing Montreal to prepare for two quarterbacks and, and not guys with wildly different styles. It's not like one of them is super mobile and the other one is, you know, an absolute pocket passer. Schultz runs more than, than Bo and maybe throws the deep ball a little more often than Bo. But so they're, they're probably, again, not the, the toughest matchup of quarterbacks for, for Montreal to prepare for. But I think there's also the element they just haven't seen Bo. I mean, the last time they saw Matthew Schultz, I think that was June the 23rd, and they didn't see Bo at all. You know, other than just this recent game where where it didn't really matter and everybody's playing vanilla. So I think there's some really interesting quarterback dynamics around this game from a Hamilton perspective. And just just the way that team has been trending over the course of the year. And look, kudos to Montreal to host a playoff game in a year with all the noise going on in their offseason and questions around ownership of free agency and players going out the door. I, I think Danny Machocha and, and Jason Moss have done a really good job to get to 11 wins. But uh, just I will be surprised if it's not Hamilton coming to Toronto the next week. Well, I mean, listen, it's going to be a great CFL playoff Saturday, and then we got a hell of an NFL Sunday starting off in Frankfurt with the Chiefs and Dolphins and then finishing up with the Bills and the Bengals on Sunday Night Football. You're going to cover the Bills at Orchard Park. It's been a weird month for Buffalo. Where is this team at going into a huge AFC game? Well, you tell me. I mean, the variance of this team from one week to another, I mean, you know, before they beat Tampa Bay, you know, walking around Buffalo here, it was like, you know, end of the world territory here, you know, struggling to beat the Giants on the last play, getting beat by the Patriots, you know. Um, I mean, just, you know, that, that, the, the way it felt around here, losing to Jacksonville, it's hard to believe that less than a month earlier, they beat the Dolphins by four touchdowns, <laughs> by four touchdowns, right? I mean, it's just the variance here has been incredible. Now, some of that is injuries. But the part that's really been puzzling is that they really haven't had many injuries on offense at all. And that's the part that's been as sort of wildly uh, erratic as anything. I mean, they can look like the best team in football. Last week, they came out, finally got the ball moving in the first half and spread the ball around a little bit more. You know, got Josh Allen's legs running. It wasn't all just throws to Steph Diggs in the first half. And, you know, they, they got a win out of it, although they made it a lot closer than they thought. Now they've picked up Rasul Douglas, a a, a corner to try to fill in an area where they've lost a lot of injuries. They've had you know, three key injuries to starters, you know, season long injuries on defense. And that explains some of their, uh, you know, some of the variance on defense, but this Cincinnati one's a big one, you know, just because, you know, people here remember what happened in January where they got the home playoff game that they wanted. 
The Bengals come in here and they just, I mean, that was Buffalo's worst game of the year. And every team always says they want to be playing their best football at the end of the year. Uh, the Bills played their worst football last year on a field in January at home to the Bengals. This is the first time they'll see them since. And they know that at some point, you know, their may, the road may go through Cincinnati come this season if they want to reach their objectives. So tons and tons of, uh, of an intrigue and just kind of stakes and storylines going into this one. Well, and timing is everything, as you mentioned, and uh, they're not exactly getting the uh, Bengals at a great time. Uh, they no. had that real rough start. Joe Burrow starting to look like Joe Burrow again, and coming off that massive win in San Francisco, they seem to be uh, they seem to be in mid-season form right now. And mid-season form for the Bengals is pretty damn good. Yeah, it absolutely is. And you're right. I mean, so often it just seems like when you catch a team in today's NFL, so much. I mean, you look at San Fran earlier in the year, no one wanted to play them, you know, they, and, and you look at uh, you know, what was happening with the Eagles, you know, at certain, certain times have looked unstoppable. And then they've been, and then of course, nothing more than Kansas city losing to Denver, you know, just reminds, I mean, you look at, you know, I mean, look, I, and the bills, I mean, the bills against the giants were 50 and a half point favorites, you know, and they want, they, they want it on by stopping them on the goal line at the end of the game on a play where there probably was a penalty. But no, I think, I think everybody just realized that probably coming off that injury that Joe Burrow had in training camp that carried on to the earliest seasons, you know, there were some things affecting that team. And um, look, I, I, you look at the age and the talent on the team, it was just never made sense that they were going to have a completely off year. And now that they found on track, the bills are getting them. You say, hopefully at a time that they're coming out of their own funk, but um, what do they call those measuring stick games? This will be a good one for Buffalo. Hey, there's two other big measuring stick games just on the other I want your thoughts on. Uh, in Frankfurt, Chiefs and Dolphins, and then uh, the late game in the afternoon, Philly and Dallas. Uh, what do you think about these two matchups? Well, the big thing about the Chiefs is, I mean, the Chiefs have played a lot of games where they kind of got into defensive struggle games, right? There was that one against the Jets, and really last week in Denver, it kind of comes to like that. And I want to see what the Chiefs look like in a game where they have to score, you know, where it might be a shootout, where the Dolphins, you know, might put up 21 in the first half or something like that. Like you saw in Buffalo where I think, you know, the teams combined for about, you know, six touchdowns through the first, you know, quarter, quarter and a half. So I, I'd love to see what Kansas City is going to look like when you know that they've got to open it up and they can't play that kind of more conservative style that they're going to be playing. When they did try to open it up against Denver last week, we saw, you know, they had trouble and they turned the ball over and, Eagles, Cowboys, I mean, I, you can certainly make an argument that this is the two best teams in the NFC right now with respect to the Eagles in San Francisco. I said you could make an argument. I didn't say it conclusively. But, uh, you know, like I think with Dallas, what they have in their pass rush, uh, what Philadelphia does with all those offensive weapons, I, I think the defense of, of, of the Cowboys up against Philly's offense is, is really the intriguing matchup in this one for me. Dave, it is going to be a great football weekend on TSN. Uh, we'll uh, spend some time on the couch, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing what you and the team has coming up for the CFL on Saturday and the NFL on Sunday. Thanks very much for doing this, and uh, we'll talk some playoffs with you in the next couple of weeks. Will do. It's a great time of year. Thanks for having me, Esla. All right, good stuff with Nails. Cannot wait for the football weekend, and uh, nice that we get this hockey game in at 3 p.m. on Saturday afternoon. Keep an eye on those CFL playoffs, then uh, focus in on Calgary and BC after the Jet game. And some amazing NFL action coming up on Sunday. Of course, uh, big lock shop tomorrow. We'll break down our best bets of the week for uh, the National Football League. And we'll see if I can make it 12 in a row tonight with the uh, with the daily pick. Check the cool bet socials for that. We'll get to the odds in a minute. I'm doing to thank our friends at Little Brown Jug. Of course, you know that... LBJ, now official partners of both the Bombers and 
the Winnipeg Jets. You can get the great taste of 1919 and generic lager at Canada Life Center at Crappier Corner. And uh, over at the ballpark, 1919, available at the poutine relocations and the hometown concession stands on both levels and both sides of the stadium. Uh, they are going to be starting to do some game days at Little Brown Jug. So uh, for Bomber games, for some Jet games, they will do that. Not always. A great idea is to give them a follow on Instagram and Twitter for the latest merchandise, or for the latest uh, events going on at Little Brown Jug. And, hey, uh, you can pop down there, check out all their great beers, merchandise as well with the holidays around the corner. And speaking of the holidays, gang, mark the date, December 6th. We're going to have a little WST holiday get-together down at Little Brown Jug. Everyone's invited. We'll have some fun activities. We'll have a few drinks, maybe some holiday food, give away a few gifts to people, and uh, hopefully maybe crank out a little bubble hockey tourney as well. Um, all that is going to be on the 6th of December. So um, and the best way, we'll have some ticket information. We'll be raising money for the Christmas cheer board. Um, but I would suggest to all of you, if you haven't already, Join the Winnipeg Sports Talk mailing list. If you're listening on the podcast, just go to winnipegsportstalk.com. At the bottom, there's a link to sign that up for that. And um, uh, the best way to get the latest on what's happening, as well as the newsletter that uh, the guys have been sending out, kind of filling everybody in on what's going on at Winnipeg Sports Talk. Check out Little Brown Jug online, littlebrownjug.ca, uh, for everything they've got going on, of course, and local delivery options as well. And just before we head to Vegas... Got to thank Nick and Nikki for their great support of Winnipeg Sports Talk. Three DQ locations, the DQ Northgate, DQ Polo Park, and of course the DQ out in Niverville. They've been so busy with the new Pita Pit in Niverville. Pita Pit is so good, healthy, fresh, delicious, fast. They also do amazing catering. So if you have needs for catering or school lunches, holiday parties, birthday parties, Nick and Nikki would love to take care of you. Fire them an email at Niverville at PetaPitMB.com or connect with them on Instagram or Twitter at PetaPitNiverville. All right, just before we get to this full slate of games in the NHL, let's welcome in the Athletics' Jesse Granger to get ready for a puck drop tonight between two very familiar rivals in the Jets and Knights. Jesse, what's going on? Great to have you back on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Yeah, not much. It's uh, It's been a busy start to the season, but glad to come on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no one's knocked the Knights off in regulation yet. The Jets will get a chance to do it tonight. But listen, just before we get to tonight's game, um, I'd love to get your take in the Vegas perspective on the announcement yesterday that the Ottawa Senators are getting clipped a first-round selection dating back to the aborted Evgeny Dadunov trade. This seemed to be very important for Kelly McCrimmon and Vegas to make it very clear that they were not at fault during this. I mean, how uh, how is this received in Vegas, and what does this mean for Vegas management that unfortunately sort of got dragged into this? Yeah, I mean, the fact that they took a first-round pick was surprising to me. I don't think the punishment was surprising, but the, the severity of it, I think, caught a little caught me a little off guard. But I guess that just shows you how serious the NHL is taking this issue. Um, you can't have teams misrepresenting players' contracts during trade negotiations, and I think this was them setting an example um, for future to, so the GMs know that if, if you misrepresent a no-trade list or any form of a player's contract, you're going to be – uh, held responsible. And like you said, I think it was important for, for Kelly McRaymond and George McPhee 
just for everyone to know that this was not their doing. Um, it was clearly Ottawa's doing on, on, on their side, whether it was accidentally, accidentally leaving out the no trade or purposefully um, not leaving out the no trade. We, we don't know which one it is, and we probably never will. The NHL has decided they're not going to talk anymore about it, and, and so have the Golden Knights. But um, from their side, I guess this kind of clears their name. Um, I don't think many people were really blaming them. I mean, I guess if you look on Twitter, there are people blaming them, but that's Twitter. Um, that's just how things are on there. But I think most people, if you look at the, the, the way that went down, um, the only logical sense was that the Golden Knights weren't aware of the no trade clause. So... Um, like I said, the only real surprising part to me was the fact that it was a first-round pick, and that's just the NHL sending a message. Um, uh, more importantly, tonight, um, the 9-0-1 uh, Knights uh, begin their second 10-game segment. What a start for this club, kind of picking up right where they left off as the standard in the NHL. But it was interesting. I heard a couple players in recent interviews saying they weren't entirely enamored with the way they've been playing recently. Um, listen, record aside... How's this team looking uh, going into tonight? Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's kind of terrifying that they haven't really played very well, and they're off to the best start for its defending cup champion league history. Um, and as you mentioned, Mark Stone after the game the other night was very critical of his team's play, and he almost had to stop himself midway through the, the interview and was like, well, we are 9-0-1, so I guess not everything is bad, but it, the, the team is definitely not happy, and I think that's a good sign um, for the Golden Knights. I think it's one thing if you're 9-0-1 and you've had some mistakes, it's one thing to say we need to be better. Um, I think every pro athlete would say that, but this team seems to actually believe like we have a lot of room to grow. We've not played our best hockey, but it's been good enough to win thus far. Um, they have had a little bit of an easier schedule and and they've played some good teams. Winnipeg and Dallas are probably the two best teams they've played and they're going to get another look at the Jets tonight. And, and the, the times they've played good teams, the games have been really close. So um, I still think there's plenty for this team to prove and, and just to prove that they actually believe they need improvement. I mean, they just had two days off and one of them was Halloween. And you would expect a defending cup champ that hasn't lost a game in regulation to take at least one of those days off. They didn't. They were on the ice practicing each of the last two days. Um, the first off day, they worked on skills work. Yesterday, they worked on their forecheck and, and kind of board battle, stuff like that. Bruce Cassidy um, has these guys working, has them. It's, they're so focused on the process and not as focused on the results. So far, the results have been good. The process hasn't been as good as they want. So uh, they still have some room to grow. You know, and, and you know, we talk a lot about Winnipeg this year becoming a much deeper team, not as top heavy with the trade with the Kings. You know, you look at just the stats from Vegas and it's pretty incredible. I mean, there's not a guy on the team with more than three goals. Um, you've got points spread from Wild Bill leading the team with, you know, 11, uh, Eichel and Theodore at 10, but then there's an 8, 7, 6, 5, 5, 5, 4, 4. Um, it seems to be as deep and balanced a team as there is in the league right now, and that's a big part of Bruce Cassidy's M.O. while rolling four lines and getting everybody involved. Yeah, I mean, that was a huge part of their cup run last year was their fourth line is just flat out better than everyone else's fourth line. And their and their bottom defensive pair, Nick Haig and Zach Whitecloud, were phenomenal in the playoffs. And it just gives them such a big advantage. They can take some of the minutes and some of the load off of that top pair. Alex Petrangelo and Alec Martinez are a great top pair, but they're not the youngest defensemen in the league. So taking some of those minutes off of them um, allows them to be sharper when they're out there. And that, that depth that carried them in the postseason has just carried over into this season. It seems like every player that's touched the ice for him has scored a goal. 
And, and they've had their fair share of injuries early in the season. It has not been smooth sailing for this team. Alex Petrangelo missed a bunch of time. Alec Martinez missed a few games. Zach Whitecloud has yet to play. He was injured in the preseason, and he's still a ways away from playing. Um, Nicholas Waugh, their fourth-line center, has missed some games. So they, they've had to use the depth. They've had to use some call-ups from the AHL, and they've all stepped in and played really well. Um, and, and when we talk about where this team has room to grow, you mentioned they don't have a guy with over three goals. That's the room right there. Jack Eichel, Mark Stone, Chandler Stevenson, Jonathan Marcheseau, none of those guys are playing at their best right now, um, but they're getting by because guys like Keegan Colasar and Nicholas Haig are stepping up and, and, and maybe overperforming a little bit. So um, if the stars get going on this team, they're going to be really tough to beat. Jesse Granger is with us in Vegas with the Athletic. Nine o'clock puck drop tonight between the Jets and the Stanley Cup champion, Golden Knights. Um, folks, I'll direct you to The Athletic. We just had Marat on, and a really interesting piece from Jesse. Uh, we talk a lot about the Winnipeggers and the Manitoba Mafia within Vegas, from broadcast to front office to the team. One of the guys that we probably don't talk enough about is Keegan Colasar. We've got a great piece on this, and it goes back to the Knights' visit to Winnipeg earlier this season, when I was sitting in the stands and was sort of taken aback seeing an A on Keegan Colasar's chest. Um, tell us about that, but also his role as a very, very important part of this championship squad. Yeah, you were not alone in, surprise, in being surprised seeing the A. Uh, Keegan Colasar didn't even believe it. Um, so it, it's funny because I'm, I'm talking to him and Jonathan Marcheseau about it. And, and Marcheseau was the first one into the locker room in Winnipeg. So he, he walks in, he sees the A takes a picture of the stall with Colasar's name above it in the A, texts it to Keegan, saying, hey, you made it, buddy. And Colasar wouldn't believe him. He's like, stop messing with me. You're pulling my chain. I know I'm in my hometown. Stop messing with me. And and what made it even funnier was earlier in the season, they, they actually did pull that prank on Nicholas Haig, uh, where Theodore swapped a jersey into his stall to make him think he was the A that night. And and then obviously he turns the jersey around and they all laugh. Um, so Colasar just assumed they were doing that to him. He finally gets to the rink. He turns the jersey around and it's actually got his last name on it. He couldn't believe it. Um, he was so excited. He, he said, like, I don't know if I'll ever get this chance again. This this locker room's full of leaders, but um, it's a night I'll never forget. Got to wear the A in his hometown. And he's been so good for this team this year. He, he only has one point, but he, you hear it all the time. Players whose impact goes beyond the score sheet. And he personifies that. I mean, he... First of all, he steps up and fights anyone who he thinks hit someone on their team dirty. And everyone knows the hockey players love that. He's one of the most beloved guys in the room. But secondly, that fourth line, just they are such a momentum line. And I think a lot of people, you think, okay, fourth line, momentum line, they must hit a lot of people. And they do that. I mean, he's second in the NHL in hits. But more importantly, more importantly, they, they possess the puck in the offensive zone so well. And it's they, whenever the team is not playing well, the other team maybe has a few shifts in their zone and the momentum's going against them. Most teams go to look to their top line. The Golden Knights don't. Bruce Cassidy looks to his fourth line. He puts Colasar, Carrier, and Waugh out there, and they sh they flip momentum. They get the puck in the other end. They cycle it around. They create a few chances. They don't score a lot, but they then turn it over to the top line in an offensive situation. They, it, they, they turn the tide of games so often for this team, and Keaton Colasar is a big part of that. He's improved so much with the puck on his stick, and I think young guys like Colasar and Haig that maybe weren't as confident in their games, that cup run does wonders for it, right? You, you win a championship, suddenly you've got a little more confidence with the puck on your stick. Rather than deferring constantly, you start looking to make plays yourself, and we've already seen that from Colasar. So um, he's a huge part of this team, and, and like I said, the depth of this team really is the strength.
you know, Jesse, it was, uh, listen, I mean, uh, we were all at the game uh, against Vegas earlier this, uh, this year and leaving the game, um, there was a lot of people going like Logan Thompson, what the heck, how do you beat that guy? Um, it was LB, then it was Aiden Hill last year and winning the cup. He was sort of the forgotten guy that was injured, but just really established himself as the number one guy. Um, he's unbeaten this year. We saw how good he's been. Um, where is his game at going into tonight? And do you expect to see him in the Vegas uh, net again against Winnipeg this evening? Yeah, look, the, I, the, the crazy thing is Logan's played really well and he's he's undefeated, but I don't think he's the number one guy here. I still think it's Aiden Hill, um, but they're pretty much a 1A, 1B. Like they're going to play 50-50 um, of the games. And a, a lot of it, the credit should go to Bruce Cassidy. When the Golden Knights hired Bruce Cassidy, his first press conference in Vegas, I'll never forget, he came in and he said, my goal, my system is goalie friendly. Um, we play a zone defense where we create a shell around the slot. We don't allow high danger chances and we force, we funnel shots to the outside. And if you look at the Golden Knights stat, stats in terms of shots on goal, they aren't great. I mean, they get out shot regularly and that's kind of what they want. They want teams to fire shots from the outside and it boosts their goalie stats. You look at it every, like you mentioned, every goalie who's played for this team, even Jonathan Quick last year was having an awful season and, and gets unloaded from the Kings, comes to Vegas, he gets a shutout. He, he won his first three games. They have proven that with this defense, if you have an NHL caliber goalie, they're going to play well. Obviously, the goalies still have to make the saves. Aiden Hill and Logan Thompson deserve a ton of credit. And they've really, I think they've carried the team early in the season where the defense hasn't been as sharp as it can be. The goalies have made up for that with some big saves. And and Thompson just continues to improve. I mean, last year was his first real full season in the NHL. Um, he represented the Golden Knights in the All-Star game in Florida. So, um, And then his second half of his season was kind of just derailed by injuries. So he's he's finally picking up back where he left off. And, and he's a really good goalie. And so is Aiden Hill. And they... They don't invest much cap space in the goalie position, but they get great play out of it, which allows them to to use the cap space elsewhere. So um, these goalies have just been so valuable for this team and um, have overperformed, I think, expectations the entire way. Jesse, really appreciate you jumping on. Looking forward to this 9 o'clock puck drop tonight here in Winnipeg, and hopefully we can do this again later on this season. Appreciate you. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. There's Jesse Granger of The Athletic joining us on Winnipeg Sports Talk. Well... Nine o'clock tonight, but uh, that's far from the only game in the National Hockey League. Let's get to the cool bet lines today. We started off with the Lightning and Blue Jackets. Tampa minus 154 favorites in Seabus. Columbus plus 131. Panthers and Red Wings going at it at Little Caesars. Detroit, a home underdog at plus 109. Florida minus 128. Canes and Rangers, pretty close to a pick em. Carolina, an ever so slight minus 111 favorite in MSG against the Rangers. Do like Carolina this evening. Uh, and what was a pick is now tilted a little bit towards L.A. L.A. minus 112 in Ottawa. Ottawa minus 105. The Islanders are a similar, very slight road favorite in Washington against the Caps. Minus 115 for the Islanders. Minus 102 for the Capitals. And that exact same number with the Leafs and the Boston Bruins. And as Remo was telling you this off air, uh, with the win last night by Buffalo, um, I'm now on an 11-game winning streak with the cool bet play of the day. And uh, lock shoppers already know this. I'm riding with the Leafs tonight. I bet against the Leafs on Tuesday on Halloween. 
had the Kings at plus 135 as underdogs in Toronto. I think the Leafs end up on the other side of it tonight and hand Bruins, the Bruins potentially their first loss in regulation. No Charlie McAvoy is going to be huge. That's a big 25 minutes they got to fill against a, uh, a lineup that can make you pay. I like Toronto at minus 115. Boston's minus 102. Uh, the Devils are in Minnesota. New Jersey, a minus 119 road favorite against the Minnesota Wild at plus 101. Stars and Oilers, this is a tough spot for Dallas. They just played last night in Calgary. They're playing their third game in four nights. Edmonton's been resting since the Heritage Classic. Connor McDavid's back. Ottinger's not playing. Edmonton now a minus 148 favorite. Dallas plus 125. Um, Arizona also playing on back-to-backs. They are back at home. They are favored tonight, minus 127 at Mullet against the Habs, who are a plus 108 underdog. Predators and Kraken in Seattle. Seattle minus 114. Nashville minus 103. A lot of really, really tight games tonight. And uh, the game we'll be paying attention to, Vegas, a minus 143 favorite. The Winnipeg Jets plus 121 road dogs in the final game of the night. The Vancouver Canucks, maybe the biggest favorite on the board actually today, minus 231 against the winless Sharks at plus 190. We do have an NFL game today. The Steelers are now three-point favorites at even money. If you do, I got in on them at minus two and a half earlier at minus 116. That's now minus 125. No Minka Fitzpatrick in the Steelers secondary. That's a big injury. Um, But we'll see if Will Levis can uh, go into Pittsburgh in his second career start after looking so good in that win against the Falcons last week. Total in the game, 37. My favorite bet for the game is our old primetime faithful. Over three and a half field goals in this one. <laughs> Plus 105. I will be on that tonight. Remo, uh, tons of NHL action. Uh, you got any leans or any picks tonight? I like where you're going here on the on the hockey, uh, Huss, with you know, Dallas has been pretty strong. Edmonton, they've had time off. No Ottinger. I do like that Edmonton. Um, as far as, no, I, I think I got you here. I'm interested in, I watched a lot of Arizona yesterday. I'm interested in this Arizona-Montreal again. Montreal's played pretty well uh, since, what, beating the Jets on on Saturday. They played some uh, some tough ones, So, but Arizona's on back-to-back. I'm intrigued on that one. Uh but as far as uh, betting on, I'm not. I'm not so sure. So uh, the Jets are a big underdog, though. Us today, I was kind of surprised uh, how big they were. You know, considering how close it was. But I guess Vegas does have the home advantage. And I think a couple times in the in the past year, we've been like, oh, the Jets are going to be rested, and it hasn't worked as well in their favor. We know this. I'm is... always nervous about teams after two days in Vegas. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just straight up. Is it straight up? So. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But I'll I'll just uh, defer to you on some of these. Us, we did actually have some Jets uh, notes. We were talking about you know we're all fired about Gabe Velarde. Uh, he went on the plane to Vegas. Oh, could he be closer to a return? Mike McIntyre reporting from Vegas. Uh, Scott O'Neill saying Gabe Velarde is on the road trip, but will not resume skating during it. He's doing strength training. Still needs time before he can hit the ice. So this confirms to everyone that, yes, Gabe Velarde was just not going to miss the team trip to Vegas. And, uh, you, nailed timeline is, yeah. you nailed that. You nailed that. I mean, everyone, I think people in chat got excited. I was like, no, no, no. They're going to Vegas and Arizona. 
They have a day off. Mike went through the whole schedule. Check it on uh, Tuesday's show. He, like they have so many days off: day off in in Vegas, day off golfing in Arizona. I mean, it's actually pretty nice today. It was like zero, but I mean, got a big dump of snow, and yeah, he's not missing missing the Vegas trip with the boys. Come on, <laughs> SK Villardi plays tonight. Fact: uh, I would not take any Villardi. Over props tonight, um, SK. Um, that's going to be uh, <laughs> going to be a little bit. Um, I, keep an eye on the exclusives, though. I think we've got a little. Um, we we cooked up a lock shot parlay tonight. We're going to take Carolina in New York. Rangers coming off that long road trip, first game back. That one's basically a pick 'em. We're going to take the Oilers against Dallas, and we're going to jump on the puck line for the sh- uh, the uh, Canucks who are on fire against San Jose. Um, that one should be in at around six to one. Keep an eye for that. And I think the guys cooked up one for the football game tonight. We've always got some great stuff from the lock shop in the exclusives. We hit our plus five seventy five or last night. Thanks to the, uh, abs and regulation and the wins by Buffalo and Dallas. So I have not been doing any online victory laps lately. Um, because I'm afraid that the second I do that, this heater is going to end. So uh, I'm just going to take the Leafs tonight. We'll throw in on a couple of those parlays. We'll bet the field goals in the football game. And hopefully we'll be at a dozen in a row tomorrow if the Leafs can get that win against a Boston team that is still yet to win or yet to lose, I should say, in regulation. Um, we got a big show tomorrow. We're going to get ready for the Moose weekend. Dan Fink is going to jump on with us. We will also have Ken Weeb breaking down today's game with the Vegas Golden Knights. And, of course, you can check out KNR After Dark. That'll be a late one tonight, probably around 1231 a.m. The fellows will get going. But, as you know, you can always listen to it the next day or watch it on YouTube when, uh, when you get up. We'll have Lee Hacksaw Hamilton joining us, and I'm really looking forward to having Marshall Ferguson um, give us his thoughts on both the East and the West semis in the Canadian Football League. So a huge show tomorrow. Marbles as well. Make sure to join us. We'll get to the NFL with Hacksaw. So uh, in the meantime, maybe uh, work a nap in, folks, beforehand, the, the 9 o'clock puck drop tonight. Um, again, shout-out to everyone participating in the Hockey Helps the Homeless event. I will see you there tonight as well. And then uh, get out and uh, watch the Jets. Hopefully get off to a nice start in this road trip. Thanks again to Jesse Granger, Brandon Rewicki, Murata Tesh, and, of course, our pal Nails, Dave Naylor, who joined us from Orchard Park, New York. It's going to do it for us today, gang. Appreciate all your time here and your sponsors. Hey, extra why not question of the day for not Autocorp on the way out. Let's get some predictions in the chat for this game tonight. Can the Jets beat the Vegas Golden Knights? How are you feeling? Let us know before we go for a why not question of the day. And for uh, not Autocorp, but Waverly and McGilvery. Don't forget to hit the thumbs up on your way out and make sure you're subscribed to the channel as well. That is going to do it for us. We'll uh, see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. for a massive Friday show coming out of tonight's game in Vegas and with the team on the road to Arizona for a Saturday afternoon matinee. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy the game. We'll catch you tomorrow on WST. Oh, my God. Shut it down. Let's go home. Thanks for tuning in to Winnipeg Sports Talk Daily. Make sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast feed at winnipegsportstalk.com.